special episode of the Serious TV Drama Podcast. That means I'm somewhat Scott, and somewhat joining me somewhat this evening. A man who may not rival me in being old, but certainly is well beyond me in being kind. <laughs> At least somewhat. It's Brian. Hey, Brian. <laughs> hey, Scott. I, I don't yet rival you, but but I am, I, I'm not far behind. Uh, now I feel like listening to Candlebox. So we are here this evening to have a chat, exercise our jaws, flap our gums, and make either music or completely massacre the English language, as we often do here. All in the name of discussing two seemingly very different television series. The first one we'll be discussing just ended its relatively brief seven-episode season a few days ago at this point. But we have been assured it will be returning at some point in the future for a second season. That would be the FX drama that I'm sure many uh, tend to catch later on on the Hulu there. And I'm talking about The Old Man. After that, we will be delving into what's been... Hmm, it's been a bit more than two and a half seasons worth of the series For All Mankind, which is on Apple+. Plus. It's the kind of show that may not have the pop culture zeitgeisty relevance of a Ted Lasso or the thunderbolt of brain-searing, what-the-fuck-did-I-just-watch impact of a severance. But you know what? It's still, at the end of the day, it might very well be the best series in the ever-more-impressive lineup that we find on Apple Plus nowadays. And if, and it's a really big if, large print, italics, some fancy calligraphy, whatever, if, somehow, some way, there is time and space and energy... And I'm not talking sci-fi, I'm talking about, you know, me and my stamina and, and Brian as well. If time permits, which probably means it won't, we'll spend maybe a few minutes running down the major Marvel announcements from this week in San Diego Comic-Con after all that. We'll see how we feel. If not, I'll do it on another podcast. Or you know what, you'll just Google it. You don't really need me to tell you about it anyway. <laughs> all right. So... Brian, I should get started, shouldn't I? Oh. For for the sake of old mankind, let's let's get started. <laughs> It'll be said that the wittiest thing about this podcast will probably be the title of the podcast. <laughs> we'll see. All right, let's bow down to Father Time and get started with the old man. Now, the old man premiered on FX a couple months ago. Um, I'd say it took at least some of us by surprise. I mean. For me personally, even though there was a major movie star or talent, you know, headlining the series like Jeff Bridges, I didn't sense that there was a big hype train for this one, um, which is the kind of thing we've kind of gotten accustomed to for a number of other series over the past few or even several years. Um, so this one kind of took me by surprise. Um, did, were you the same way on this one? I can't remember, Brian. Yeah, I, I wasn't really uh, expecting it and didn't really hear much about it. And and really, to be honest with you, I thought it looked interesting, but I wasn't all that pumped for it uh, until I saw an addition to uh, uh, you know our protagonist. We were also going to add an antagonist, and the combo of those two actors kind of 
wet my chops to dig into it. Right. Makes perfect sense. I probably also wasn't aware of it because I had not been watching anything really on FX recently, that, especially anything that involved commercials, which means I didn't see any ads for it. So I, it kind of almost came out of nowhere. I'm lucky I found out about it within days before it premiered, quite frankly. So... A little back history for both series, as, as I am wont to do with these sort of things. The co-creator of this show. You, first, you have Robert, writer Robert Levine. Now, he had been the writer on several TV series, but the one that really leaps out at me personally that he did a lot of work for was the old Fox TV series Human Target that aired over 10 years ago. One or two of you, or maybe more, might remember that was actually on my list of my favorite overlooked and underwatched TV series. I think we did that countdown back on podcast number 300 or something. Um, it's actually based on a DC Comics property, of all things. Um, he also wrote and created the series Black Sails, uh, a show that I personally have never seen, but I do understand it's some sort of prequel-style story to Treasure Island. His co-creator for The Old Man is Jonathan E. Steinberg. These two fellows, they actually have pretty much matching credits. So everything I just said about Mr. Levine applies to Mr. Steinberg. And I believe they actually met or started working together professionally on the series Jericho many years ago, uh, of which Mr. Steinberg was actually the creator and writer for that, and Levine was just uh, on his staff. Now, this show is actually, let's just say it's more inspired than a straight-up adaptation of the novel The Old Man, which was written by Thomas Perry and published back in 2017. It's still the basic premise. A former CIA operative has been living off the grid for decades, suddenly has to go on the run, because, well, let's say his past starts to catch up to him. Uh, one, one last thing. I, thought, I was kind of amazed by this, and you can... I forget where it was. It might be on the IMDb page. That must be where I saw it. It's either that or Wikipedia or something like that. If you dive into all the special consultants for this series, it's kind of amazing, because there's, like, several. There, there are people who are, you know... Members of the CIA, the director of Afghan affairs, a dude from Homeland Security. It's, it's really crazily impressive. <laughs> the, 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 it's like a big checklist of people who are involved in all this espionage and government in this country that are, that are behind the scenes on this show. Uh, it, which, the thing that kind of makes that impressive, you, you start to think, oh, maybe a lot of what we're seeing, maybe they're really getting this right. You know, we all assume we're watching this very fanciful fiction, but it turns out maybe the nuts and bolts of the operations that we're seeing are pretty much rooted in reality. Um, so we had a season. I love it being a seven-episode season. Yeah, you know, when you get a seven-episode season or something, you think they should either all have British accents or superpowers because there's so few episodes. Um, so, Brian, my, my feeling on this one was from the get-go... From the get-go, this was a, a very, maybe even deceptively simple premise that gets decidedly more complex as we go from episode to episode. And I, I, I kind of really love that sort of storytelling. You think it's, as opposed to, as opposed to doing it in reverse, which you could, I mean, you could do it in reverse and it could work, but I, I like this because it's just peeling it back and peeling it back. And it's like, oh, this is a lot more complicated than I thought, you know. As long I don't mind complicated, I only mind convoluted, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I uh I think I wonder um after watching it if they weren't really sure how to promote the show and maybe that's why there wasn't more advertising because 
it's not really just a spy thriller. It's not really just a drama. It's sort of a combination of a number of genres um, that, that, that really, as you get into it, what you're ex- expecting kind of takes some twists and turns in a way that, that I really enjoyed. Right. And, and on top of all those things, either one looks at it as, like you say, a spy thriller or adventure or just, just a straight drama, whatever. There are some things that become baked into the show that might, some of which might not have even been intended from the get-go, but it became that. And a lot of that has to do with the casting of Jeff Bridges in the main role and actually what happened during the making of the series on top of that. Um, during the course of filming, obviously COVID caused an issue and, and stopped the filming, but more serious was that um, Bridges himself became ill. He had actually had uh, non-Hodgkin's uh, lymphoma. And he had to recover from that. So there was some aspect of a show where it's someone, t- you're watching a story about someone that's closer to the end than the beginning of their life. It's kind of like a coda. You can almost, even though I hope Bridges is around for another, you know, 15, 20, whatever plus years doing things. It's interesting to also look at this as, at least at this point in time, it's almost like a coda on his career and what he's been doing. And I think that also informs the performance and the story as well. Uh, I'm totally, I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm totally improvising this whole thing right now, Brian. Uh, <laughs> it, in a weird way, it kind of reminds me a little bit of when Unforgiven came out and you kind of looked at Clint Eastwood that way in that, in that movie. And that was another, and that's a movie that was, it's, it's a very simple story, but there's all, actually a lot more complexity to it the more you, you look at it. And I think that's the case here. Obviously all the spy intrigue and all the governmental layers or whatever are complications as well. But I think it's saying a lot about his character and it's, it's, it's a show. What makes this such a weird and interesting show to me? On one hand, there's a lot of plotting that's involved, but it still feels very much character-driven more than plot to me. Yeah, I. Uh, it, it's almost uh, the, when you say "unforgiven," that that strikes me, um, and it also it, it's because maybe um, we talked about this recently. It also sort of made me flashback to sort of the the episode of another apple show where an actor appears in a season and that actor at the time was at the actually dying and ended up later dying and by the time i watched it uh you know i'd already known that actor passed away and uh watching it that episode of that one tv show which is not really a drama but sort of has drama aspects also was a meditation of one of the characters on their life. And uh, this is sort of, uh, there are lots of interesting things that I think as a, you know, over 50 year old dude, uh, looking at a meditation on your life, what it meant, you know, did, did you make a difference? Also the aspects uh, from the time you were the best at something, how has the world changed? You know, technology's changed everything. Uh, the ability to communicate and the ability to hide has changed quite a bit in our lifetime and sort of the meditations, uh, uh, you know, of an older man who still, you know, has a lot of skills and is formidable, but is faced with a changing world. Uh, I, I think this, this is sort of a meditation on that, that I found really interesting. Right. That's 
exactly how I see it as well. Interesting. Uh, well, there's so much to disagree with you on this one. Uh, maybe we'll find something. Um, it's interesting, though, because obviously a lot of our focus when we're talking about the series tends to be on, you know, you, especially on, on your on your two on your male lead, on your secondary male lead, and then maybe and then 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 the lead two women as well. Um, now, either what I call the backstory filling flashbacks work well or not. I mean, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about that momentarily, I'm sure. Um, but it's interesting because it's hard for me to remember a, another show like this, at least in recent memory, that it's a show that's got a relatively steady, if not slow pulse, and then it manages to pull off a few, whoa, I don't know if I saw that coming kind of surprises. I can think of shows that we've watched, we've enjoyed that had slow pulses before, but they usually don't have those little like, oh, geez, wow, kind of thing peppered in there. So, so that, and, and, and put, having that in mind, and again, it, I love the fact by having a seven episode season, one can really just, just take it an easy step back and say, okay, how did the story unfold over these seven episodes? Um, you know, obviously things change from episode to episode, but you know, di- did it work throughout? Were there some bump, bumps in the road, so to speak, here and there? Um, I know how I feel, but since we haven't really talked about that much, people want to hear what you have to say, Brian, first. So, how, how, the, the way they tell this story through these seven episodes. Um, were you satisfied at all points? Were there things that you th- that worked better than other times? How did you feel about that? Um, I think it, it mostly worked for me. I think my only complaint um, was I think the Amy Brenneman character worked about the, through the first half of the season, and at some point, it it stopped working for me, not because of anything she did, but because the story seemed to be taking him to a place that a person of his skill and ability would not have taken her, that she would have become, uh, you know, a liability to him, to his daughter. Um, so I, I think her function in the story um, I thought early on was great. Like, you know, he, he had to take her. If he left her, she's dead. She goes with him. And I even, you know, I liked up until they got on the plane and from the plane forward, I questioned the mechanics of, of, of that character taking her. Um, but also, I mean, we have a man who's lived what we gather is a pretty lonely, solitary life. And we can, I can understand it. Um, it, it just, that part didn't work as well. I, I don't mean to imply that it didn't work at all, but I thought if there was a piece of this that, that fell a little flat for me, it was that part of the story. Hmm. Well, I, I would confess that I am not the biggest Amy Brenneman fan and that's maybe more to her credit. It's more probably throughout her career of, of what I've actually watched she tends to play characters that I simply don't like. I never saw NYPD Blue, so I can't, you know, judge her for that. But I never saw Judging Amy for that matter, <laughs> or Private Practice. But you know what? I did not like Laura Garvey on The Leftovers. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't like her character on there's that one season of Goliath she was on. And 
and literally just finished it the other night, the show uh, Shining Girls on Apple TV. She's got a, a, a much smaller part on that. <laughs> don't like a character very much on that either. <laughs> so she has her tradition of playing characters. I just don't like them very much. Now, like you were saying, I, I kind of... I. I initially was questioning his need to take her with him, even from the get-go, because I was wondering, do we really know that her life would have been at risk or not? Eh. You go along with it because I felt, and I think you you brought it up towards the end of what you were saying, that I think even if she doesn't fill the void that Abby, his, his wife, Abby's death has apparently left in him, she at least covers up some of that hole in his soul, so to speak. And maybe having her around is just maybe his one way um, beyond his phone calls with his daughter to, for him to hold on to some sort of humanity or or reality for that matter, because we do see that he is prone to hallucinations. Uh, but really echoing kind of what you were saying, I I really enjoyed their interactions before they went on the run. I mean, th- their first date, it's that was fantastic pre-dinner conversation. I, I loved everything. I love. I love the words. I love the mannerisms. I love the expressions. Um, I, and I love that later on. You know, I think it, it kind of maybe stems from there. I love that he kind of identifies that she has her own kind of superpower. I, see, I mentioned superpowers before. It turns out people do have superpowers on the show. Um, kind of walk back that intro. Maybe I'll re-record it. <laughs> but I like his way of picking up on uh, her way. Excuse me when he brings up her way of picking up on tells and her observational skills with people, because it's something it's an, it's an odd thing that they actually have in common. So, but the thing, again, it's more, do I believe that it's kind of what you're saying? Do I believe the character makes that decision? And then I then I come up with my own explanation for it. It's like, okay, I, I feel like my explanation works, especially because of his, the hallucination situation that he has. So it's, it's like, a, we've talked about it on another pot, uh, another character, another podcast It's kind of a, a tether for him, so to speak. The thing that I have more of an issue with, eh, I don't know if it's a big issue, but it's an issue enough for me to mention here. Plus we need something to talk about. It's not all, you know, fawning over the show. Now, look, I understand the point of the flashback story especially when it comes to filling us in on the history of and with Faraz Hamzad. You know. Now, is it as successful making me believe the origins of the relationship between the younger versions of Dan Chase and Abby? I personally felt, eh, not so much. It wasn't bad. It might have simply just been one of those chemistry things. You know, maybe I just didn't quite believe that that Abby would eventually run away with this Dan Chase. I don't know. Maybe I need to see additional flashbacks in the upcoming second season that makes me believe it more. I don't know. It, it's, I'm not trying to walk this back, really. I'm not saying it was bad. It's more every time we were involved in a flashback story, I kept going, can we please get back to the present again? Please? I don't care. I don't care if it's Lithgow or Bridges or or Aaliyah, whoever it is. I'm just I'm tired of it. <laughs> so that was kind of my feeling during that. I, I'm gonna disagree with you in that I liked it, and here's why: in a world of these strong men, and we see her, even if initially you question that, by where we end the season, where almost none of the men in in her life are sure they knew her at all that that 
in a world and think of the time that this takes place. Um, she was pretty badass, and and it's almost like the roles were reversed, and Dan Chase was sort of the one falling in love with her, and she was the stoic, distant badass, uh, and he was the one falling for her. Um, and I thought, you know, it's really interesting that he and Faraz Hamzad and the Russian that she played all three of these men and none of them like, like in the present, all of them are questioning what was real and what wasn't. Right. Okay. That is totally fair to say. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I, I thought that the actress did a bad job playing the part. I thought she was fine. I just, maybe, maybe it was just something about the actor playing the Jeff Bridges role. Maybe it's that. I don't know. I know him from lock and key. He's like the, the dead dad from that show. Actually, uh, for a second, I was like, wait, is that one of the dudes from dark? He looks like one of the dudes from dark. Like, Oh no, it's not that guy. <laughs> um, and maybe he's just, maybe it's just, un- and maybe it's unfair actually for me to say this about him because we know he's playing a younger version of Jeff Bridges. So there is the you're playing a younger version of a, 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 a pretty much a movie icon or, or or pretty damn close to it. It's really hard to kind of pale in comparison as a result. So maybe that's that's bad on me. So you win this one, Hewlett. Anyway, so. well, I mean, it's it's it, it's hard uh, for all the other actors playing the parts in the past. They don't start with a gravitas deficit that that guy does that, that, you know, it's hard to be the stand in for Jeff Bridges. Like you say, I, I think, I, and I think he does, he does good with the job and we see, you know, he's a tall, you know, strapping guy in the desert, helping everybody out. Um, but he's, he's maybe more formidable now, um, it, it, in a way that he has the wisdom um, that we don't see Abby have cause she's dead mm-hmm. that we don't really see, uh, with Faraz and we see Faraz is physically infirm by the end. And we also see, uh, you know, the one we don't know about is Victor. I think in his name, Victor, the, the Russian or did I, or, or, or Alexi or uh, I, I forget his it's name. It's literally the one name I didn't write down. <laughs> yeah. Like, of course I would pick that. Uh, but, but we don't spend much time with him in the present. So he may also be a match. And I assume based on the power he has and the fact that Dan Chase wants to go meet with him, he's also, you know, the wisdom of what he did, uh, um, has taken him to a point to where he's pretty formidable now too. But, uh, I, I think that that may be part of it. We, we know more of Dan Chase's story than anyone else's and the difference between him and the present and the past is more glaring because of that. Right. Right. And, and, and just to tie for at least for me, tie a bow on the flashbacks, or at least as far as the characters in the flashbacks, I'm getting more character centric with what I'm talking about, I guess. Um, I did like, I actually liked the guy playing, uh, the younger version of John Lithgow's character, the, uh, the, the Harper, Howard Harper character. Yeah. Um, there was even one scene where I thought, did they loop in Lithgow's voice? I swear that's not, he's, if he, if that's not Lithgow himself, 
this guy is really nailing Lithgow's voice really well. And I also like the actor who played the younger uh, Faraz that we kept seeing. I I kept thinking, oh, he's got this kind of a kind of like almost like a Middle Eastern Bradley Cooper kind of a quality. So, kid's gonna be, I've seen I, I've seen that actor before. I didn't look up what else I've seen him before, but he's he's got he's got a little bit of that. It's something so, which made sense for. I like the casting of that character because you could see why he would be in the position he was because he had that kind of presence to him. Yes. And I think maybe maybe that's my issue. And again, I don't mean to, to knock the actor because I've seen him, you know, like I said, I saw him on Lock and Key. He's not a bad actor, but that he just didn't hold the screen as well as the other people do, for me at least, in the flashback scenes. And maybe that just kind of poisoned the, the, the well water for me on that one. I don't know. Well, poisoned the well water. What the hell am I talking about? All right. So... <laughs> So let let me circle back to someone who I really enjoyed in this series. Probably one of my favorite characters and actors or performers, actresses, whatever you want to phrase it. Um, Aaliyah, uh, Sh- is it Shawcat? Is that how you pronounce her last name? I'm gonna say yes. Yeah. First of all, I love her in the role. I think she's so good. I may even one day check out that Search Party series she's apparently been on for the last several years. I see it's on HBO Max. Many of us, like me, know her mainly from Arrested Development many years ago. So we always we always have a little you know warm spot in our heart for someone like that. But such a fascinating character that even though for me for a little while there I was I was I was delightfully confused. <laughs> You know, I was trying to figure out the whole deal with the daughter here because those first, when you're watching it on a, and by the way, this is what makes sometimes watching a show on a week to week basis more interesting than in a binge format where you might've watched one right after the other, because I kept wondering at first, we were like, is she screwing with him? Is he crazy? You know, because first thing, this is all in his head. It could all be in his head. Then you see it's her doing it. Then you wonder if she's manipulating him. Then you realize the truth about, I love that, that that's one of the, my favorite things about the way they tell the story is that we go from week to week and it's like, oh, the story changes, the character changes, but it's an organic, like, oh, now I see her this way because we know this about her. Oh, now I see something different about, oh, oh, I really, to me, that's one, I think that's one of the real uh, in, main ingredients that make the show uh, as fascinating and compelling a watch as it was. And and I, I think the the thing I love about her character is um, you have two men both trying to protect her in their own way, and, but yet both of them are completely blind to some of the uh, things she's going through, the issues she has. And let me just say without, if, if you haven't watched it, I won't. I won't spoil it, um, but I'll say if you do watch it, boy, does this show have some daddy issues, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, uh, but but again, her journey through this show and what we learn and discover and what she goes through is, you know, which is pretty crazy to say in a show with, with Bridges and, and Lithgow. Uh, maybe her journey is the one I'm most interested in seeing how it resolves now uh, because of, of the writing and what they've done to her and the position she's in and where they placed her. And uh, that was a really pleasant surprise. Yeah. I mean, 
the fact that on more than one occasion, I felt, first of all, genuinely surprised about a, a new revelation about her and her character. And, and, and it was the kind of, and each time was something where you kind of almost, you want to rewind back what you've been seeing up to that point and see how that has played a part. Because it, it becomes one of those things like you, you wonder, what does the, like, what does the, what does the, and any kind of movie or TV show, you kind of want well, more TV than movies, actually. You wonder how much has the actor been informed about what's going to happen later on in a season? Do they know that from the get go? Do they know that the day they get the script? That kind of thing. So you wonder, what does she know about her own character when she's in episode one to episode two to episode three? You know, oh, and by the way, the episodes, they don't even waste time giving titles. It's, <laughs> Other than being Roman numerals, which I, I love the, again, it's the super simplicity of storytelling on this show in that regard. Um, but I was consistently kind of impressed and surprised by that. So, so that's definitely one of the, one of the big selling points for the, sh- the series overall. Of course, the obvious and main selling point of the series, I would say, it's the two dudes, the, the, the who we could call the. The, the main two old men, because both these fellows are, they're both in their seventies, actually. I mean, right now, you know, they, they, both their birthdays are later this year, but as of filming this, Lithgow is 76, Bridges is 72. And oh, by the way, Joel Gray, who plays the character Morgan Boat on the show, he's 90. 90. <laughs> so, so there's that line and everything we realize, you know, we, we mean literally or figuratively, He's the old man of this series. Ninety. Yeah, and it's funny. Like one of them refers to him as the old man in, oh, the, in the show. It this became uh, a and that could become a major talking point with a lot of people, whether it be in just in barroom conversations or social media or, or what have you, because you start wondering, like, wait, is that actually the old man in the title? And we've and we've been you know going down this, a different road the whole time, or or the way I look at it, I feel the title is transitory. That it can be the focus. It could be the Jeff Bridges character, the, the Dan Chase character, sometimes. But sometimes it's more the focal point is Howard. I've mentioned to you before there were t- when we talked about the series briefly uh, over the last few weeks. As much as Bridges is definitely the star of the show, and we're, I'm going to talk about that in a moment. There were also a number of times where I, oh, I kind of want to go back to the John Lithgow stuff. I'm finding that very interesting. And what he's going through, and his own—it's it, always. And whenever you can watch a character, as as we have done for the last few years or number of years on Better Call Saul, um, who's on the horns of a moral or ethical dilemma, and when they make decisions that really you know are going against their grain, um, drama needs conflict. But it's interesting when the conflict is within the character themselves. They're they're at war with themselves of what you know. Whether it's a, whether they're doing something which they feel is a Machiavellian thing, you know, the ends justify the means, or I have to do this to save myself, even though I know I'm doing a bad thing, which is what Howard is probably looks like he did it in the past, and now now he's doing it in the present. Yeah, I would I would say it's transitory. I mean, you know, you you can say your old man talking about your dad, or you know, your old man talking about you know your your husband, or it it's 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 intentionally vague, and uh, you know, 
the, the, let's just say there are a lot of old men. In this show. <laughs> it's a, yeah, this, this, this show. Let's put it this way: even with Aaliyah in the show, uh, I'm not sure the demographic for the show. They're, they're, going, they're not going for the MT, what we used to call the MTV crowd. By the way, <laughs> me even calling them the MTV crowd makes me sound old because means you're an old man. <laughs> there's no MTV crowd anymore. You? Well, you mean like that TikTok crowd? Or something? Right. But back to the old fellas. Look. Look, Lithgow. Lithgow, he's a dude. This guy, he, he made his bones on the silver screen going back to the late seventies. I mean, we, he broke out in the early eighties with things like you know, Terms of Endearment and World According to Garp and things like that. He's in that great Twilight Zone segment, actually, the the, 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 the Shatner one in the nineteen eighty three film. Um, and now, and he's and he's also one of the only people who can lay claim to making a huge imprint. On like all mediums, on the stage and movies. Of course, we're talking about on television. He's a great illustrator. He does a great Giuliani impression. But this show getting Jeff Bridges, because Jeff Bridges is a movie star, a movie star who can act, who's actually gotten better with age, although he was always a talented actor. You can go back to him in Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. You can go back to him in, you know, the fabulous Baker boys or, or, or the Fisher King or whatever, whatever bridges role, a star man, Oh, star man, you know, but you know, like Lithgow, except for Lynn Lithgow, you know, likes to ham it up every once in a while in his career. He's even someone who's even good and fun to watch in bad movies. Cause he's got, and especially as he's gotten older, cause he's got that it factor. He's got that weighty gravitas you mentioned. He's got that presence. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm crazy. Yeah. In the last 20, 20, 25 years, we've seen other movie stars, even bigger movie stars technically show up on the small screen, you know, usually like some HBO thing or something. And we're like, you know, we get that, Ooh, ooh we're lucky to have this person on our screen. But it's just a little different with him. There's, I think there's only maybe, one or two others I can think of, I would I would say the same thing about like like when Meryl Streep that time showed up on like that HBO show or whatever the heck it was like a million years ago or something. Yeah, and I think uh, you know not to shout out uh, a past podcast, but if you want to go listen to us rave about Lithgow, uh, I think you know that they brought him in on Perry Mason to give that show some heft early on. Not not that you and I think Matthew Reese needs any. You know, help. We love Matthew Reese, but um, you know, making him Perry Mason's mentor on that show, uh, we were both just absolutely loved that they brought him in on that show, and then seeing him in this even a bigger role uh, on on TV. I mean, he sort of had a a great you know third act here in his career that that you know, I mean, his Winston Churchill on The Crown was phenomenal. Uh, I mean, he's really doing some amazing work, and to see him, to see him play a character uh, and not just be a bad guy, to be shaded, and to be given lots of space, lots of relationship with his, you know, adopted daughter and and his past. Uh, I think in this show, like I said, I mean, I, I would have watched it because of Jeff Bridges, but when I saw you know him added to the mix, I was like, yeah, I'm all in. And what's really fascinating, especially when you get from episode one to the end of episode seven, is much like when we were talking about um, uh, the what's her, what was her character's name again? 
Adam, Ang- Angela. Much like Angela's character, how we kept finding out, but we kept finding out more and more about her from episode to episode, which kind of um, just made her storyline and pursuing it that much more interesting, especially when we get to the, the quote unquote final revelation, so to speak. I love that we're talking about this, like we're trying not to spoil it, though the expectation is everyone who's listening has already watched the show. But I'm going to stick with that. I, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to spoiler in advance for anyone who's going to listen. I don't think we're going to do that quite as well with For All Mankind, but you never know. We'll see. But the thing I find interesting, and also not really spoilery, um, with his character, and what in some ways makes, for me, or maybe for a lot of people, makes him the most interesting character on the show is our perspective on him changes drastically from episode to episode. Like you had referred to him as a villain, but he's never really a, he's a villain, but yet he's not. And then the more you watch, the more you realize, no, he's not a villain. He's not a villain at all. It's, it's, he's a villain the way you'd say, and the original setup of the show, like when you would watch The Fugitive, and you know, you have Harrison and Ford on the run initially from Tom Lee Jones. Neither one of those people are villains, <laughs> you know? But with this, it's when he's, when he makes decisions which you realize are, they're more about covering his own ass, so to speak. That's when he's going down that he's going on that bad choice road. We like to talk about on another podcast. <laughs> um, but then when we see where it leads, because he starts getting hit with a man of secrets gets hit with secrets he he didn't know about, and it changes his perspective, and as a result, it changes our perspective on him. So by the time we get to the end of this, I think he's just as if you want to call them this, he's just as quote unquote heroic a figure as Dan Chase is by the, by the time, by the time we get to the end. And oh, this will be a spoiler. So skip ahead five seconds. The fact that they're unified at the end kind of underscores that. That's my yeah. I, and, and I think that when we saw the two of them on the screen, I mean, it was almost like heat. It's like you've got to get De Niro and Pacino in a room at some point and they've got to be together. And so you got to have that diner scene. And by the time they get to the diner scene, you know more about De Niro's character that, that he's not just what you thought at the beginning. He's not just a bank robber. He's a dude with a code and, and you know, this woman has changed his life and his, by the time these two meet, they're both fully formed characters to us. So when they join up, it's like the perfect combination of character and story. But at that point, we're rooting for both of them. And that is a fantastic analogy comparing it to the how they structure the story of Heat. Uh, I wish I had thought of that. I hate you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, because that's true. Because everything we've seen of these two interacting has been on the phone. You know, we're just cutting back and forth. You know, there's that hundreds or thousands of miles in between them. So when we finally see them sharing the screen together, like in, in that car or whatever, that, and that's also where the flashbacks help a little bit. Although I, but the, I, at the same time, I kind of wish we had had a bit more of the younger Howard in those flashbacks. I think it, just a little bit more interaction between the two younger versions of them might have infused this a little bit more. It's minor. I, I'm not saying it was what they did was wrong. Just I think it would have helped it more. Not that it needed help because it's these two actors. So absolutely. Um, bef- I, when I know we're getting near the end of talking about it, but I don't. 
don't want to leave out one, at least one character. And this is one, <laughs> the one fellow I've been worried about because I know I'm going to mispronounce his name. Um, I really enjoyed seeing the actor who I will always refer to as, Hey, it's Chris from the wire. I know his character's name was Julian on this. I know he's the, he's, he's the hit man who's hired. Um, the actor's name, his first, it's Gabenga Akinagabi, I think, or something like that. I apologize. Not that he's going to listen, but <laughs> I apologize, sir. I, I'm, don't worry. If we get to that Marvel thing, you know there's going to be that name I always screw up. <laughs> anyway, the actor and this character, they're always set at medium cool. And it's interesting that one, it's on, kind of almost reminiscent a little bit maybe of, of his character on the wire. I hate the fact that I feel like I have to root against him, <laughs> you know, because you kind of do, but you, but it, it's weird. I, I don't want to say it's a likability thing, but there's just something. It, it's, a, it's a cool factor. I, I don't know how else to phrase it. Even when he played a nurse on nurse Jack, it's like, he's too, I mean, I like nurse Jackie. He's too cool for this, for this show. <laughs> um, Oh, by the way, that, that's actually, um, by the way, the, the, I hate to root, the, the, finding someone that you hate, that you have to root against, or hate that you have to root for, I believe that's going to come up in uh, the show we're going to talk about afterwards as well. I think that's a, especially the third season. So, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, no, a, there's I, a teaser. <laughs> I, I want to second that. I mean, that what I think is great about this show, um, a character uh, like his would not be developed at all. They'd be very, uh, they would be a pawn to move on the board to say here. And we learn just enough about him that we want to know more. Absolutely. I mean that if you're going to, if, if you're going to give me another, at least another seven episodes where you're going to sprinkle in flashbacks, you know what? I might not might mind the feud involving his connection with Morgan boat and all that. Cause they clearly that there's been a working relationship there for, for a very long time. And I'm, I'm intrigued and I'm fascinated to know what that would be. So that would be something to look forward to. And, you know, you, and you can, he can play himself to 10, 15 years younger. I mean, you know, he, he look, he, he doesn't look any different than he did in the wire right now. And that was like 15, 20 years ago. No, I mean, he, he looks amazing. And, and let me just say on his character, you know, his character is the one actually getting his hands dirty. He's the one actually doing the work, but all of the people. And I think if we think back to that time, um, you know, uh, America does a lot of things in the dark that, that all of us sit here ignorant of, um, Jeff Bridges character, John Lithgow's character, you know, Howard, Dan, all of them have done things, you know, in pursuit of national security. He's just the grunt on the ground. He's no more morally impaired and them, it's the immediacy of, of him actually going after characters that, that have been positioned for us to care more about, we know more about. But, I mean, part of this show is talking, you know, that when you deal in the, the fates of nations, there are lots of things that go on that are very complicated and very in, in the moral gray. And all these characters operate in that world. Right. Absolutely. We, we've... We, we all have grown up on stories of, you know, the usual CIA intrigue and, and the, the rather nasty bits of business that this country has been involved in for, well, 50, 60, 70, go back as far as you, whatever the CIA was first created. Um, just go back to the Kennedy years alone. Um, 
it's interesting watching a very small and human story being told that's in the midst of all that. And that's it. That's it. And at the end of the day, that's what it's really all about. And all these other little pieces, you know, it's, it's almost like you have to almost like push them aside, even though they do inform characters actions. But at the end of the day, like I said, it's a very simple story, deceptively simple story. It, it, and even if it gets more complicated, it's always the outside complications. Cause at the end of the day, it's now, and by the end of the story, the end of the season, it's about, you know, what does Jeff Bridges' character keeps, Dan keeps saying that he's, he's just trying to protect his little girl. And it turns out that's what, um, John Lithgow's character wants to do as well. And maybe there's someone else who also has that sensibility at the end of this as well. So, yeah. I mean, even even by the end of the season, we view Faraz Hamzad differently, right? Um, so it, it's that that's what I, I mean. This show, if I think I had to sum it up, this show I was looking forward to. I w- it wasn't the top of my list, but I would say it pleasantly surprised the hell out of me with its complexity. Uh, it was very very uh, character driven, but an exciting story. Uh, it, it was a spy thriller told on, you know, an interpersonal level and not on a grand scale. Uh, I will second that. I'll, and the only thing I'll add to it that I thought was actually very, um, I don't, I don't know if it was maybe daring, somewhat daring in this day and age, perhaps of what people might become, be more accustomed to, especially when you're dealing with something which is, you know, a thriller with conspiracies and gunplay and whatever. Um, there's a lot of very long talking scenes and the dialogue is very sharply done and it's, it's a little hyper realistic. It's not quite real. You know, that they, they get, it gets a little, um, thoughtful, so to speak. Um, but it always works, and maybe it's because of the talented actors involved, including Amy Brenneman. I, I wasn't trying to knock her before, but you know. But some of her scenes early on, the con- the conversations between characters are so fascinating to me, and it's the thing that really hooks me into the show more than anything else. No matter who, who, no matter who, which two are talking to each other, um, I know even the scenes where I left them out because I forgot what his name was as well. Um, the other dude who's kind of been thrown into the mix. He's the, the one guy that no, the feds, uh, no one likes to work with cause he's, he's a bit of a busy, annoying busybody. And now he gets thrown into all this and he's kind of, um, you're like, wow, am I supposed to like that guy? I don't, but I kind of, but it's like you, you understand his perspective. And I think that's always key when you have people that are either good or bad or, or more the gray area in between. As long as you can get and understand their motivations, even if you don't agree with their actions, you still understand the characters and it makes them interesting to follow, whether it be in a movie or like this in a continuing TV series. Yep, I, I I totally agree. And I I he had the great moment in the the last episode where you know, he speaks on behalf of another character and uh right. again, you know, uh, th- there wasn't a character that they spent more than a scene on in this show that that you didn't get growth from uh and and that's really something. Absolutely. The only question now other than how things get resolved is how long are we going to wait for a second season? I, yeah. <laughs> I get the feeling it might be a little while, but we'll see. Can't wait for this to come back. 
All right. Um, I believe we are going to move on to the next series that we have on our docket here, Counselor. Um, for y'all out there, you already told you what the next show is going to be. It's For All Mankind. If you've not seen that series yet, I'm going to say you might want to listen to the rest of this podcast another time because I, I can't see how we're going to avoid spoilers, and I don't want to. It's two and a half seasons worth of a show. You, you're going to get spoiled. Um, if there is time for me to talk about anything else afterwards, like those Marvel revelations I mentioned, you'll see it in the segment breakdown. You'll know how far ahead to skip. If you don't see it there, that means I didn't do it. <laughs> So, you know, we should have a little T minus four, three, two, one, liftoff for a discussion on For All Mankind. Now, for All Mankind, that's the one with the creators. Creators are, uh, first you have Ben Nedvy and Matt Walpert. I'm going to skip over their work on Entourage. I was horrified to see that. But these two dudes together, they wrote four episodes at Fargo, which is really nice. You know, two from the great season two and two from the not so great season three. And just before All Mankind, um, they, I think, was it Ben or did he do it, Matt? I think it's both of them. I think they co-wrote. They had actually co-written. I'm going to say they co-wrote, and if I'm wrong, I apologize. I'm giving Matt more credit than I should then. Um, written two episodes from season one of Umbrella Academy. You know, another favorite show of this podcast. But look, the big name, the main name, if we're being honest here, is Ronald D. Moore. Ronald D. Moore. Look. The dude knows a little something about science fiction for television. <laughs> I mean, he's probably one of the most celebrated writers who penned some of the most best, bestest episodes, I would say, of both Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Um, and for the, the 21st century folk, he's the person behind the revival of Battlestar Galactica, a series that many people consider to be maybe an all-time top 10 TV series. Not sure it's in my top 10, but it might be top 20, maybe. And again, I could get into a whole bunch of his other works. He was a big wheel on the Outlander series, Carnival, etc. But I think what's really interesting about him doing the series, and this is where I'll, I'll start to open up the conversation, it's interesting that with this show, yes, I understand that it has to fall under the sci-fi heading. Of course it does. It's largely due to the series is hinging on the what-if principle. And the ripples of that 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 take place on the show throughout, and it and how it affects the next few decades of global history. And I I love that conceit because it's 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 the you know it's the butterfly effect we've always heard about, only taken on, on a rather grand scale. And of course, here you know the what if is what if the Russians had landed on the moon first in 1969, and how the continuing space race from that point. That's it's a it's a surprisingly sturdy thread that runs through every season of this series, and I've said it before, and I'll get to my little wrap paper. Don't worry. Um, this series it captures the cultural and societal changes of men and women in a way very similar to a series like Mad Men. It also has a very measured look at the ensuing intrigue and escalating measures and countermeasures between the U.S. and USSR for all those years which is very similar, or, or I would say in a similar vein, if I want to be all, you know, highfalutin, to the series The Americans, a show that we, you and I actually talked on a podcast about once upon a time. And finally, the whole what-if scenario that I lit off with, and how world history has changed, and all the echoes have subtle vibrations and impact the story over and over. It's sort of kind of a little bit like The Man in the High Castle, only a lot better. 
Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I just, I just want to make, I'm referencing that, but I'm telling you, if you have it's better. Of course, if you're listening, you've probably already seen it, and you already know that. So, I mean, this was a show I heard a little bit about before I actually got on the Apple TV. Apple Plus. Like, I was just called Apple TV. And I, I realized, no, it's Apple Plus. Whatever. Or is it Apple TV? I don't even know anymore. Uh, no, Apple TV is a device. Apple Plus is the service, right? Is that how it works? Yes. Okay. So, I, I would love to say that I was, I, I'm always happy when I can be the guy who planted his flag first <laughs> in the ground, much, much like an astronaut on the moon. Like, oh, I found this series first. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a latecomer to it, <laughs> you know? but I don't care because it's, so good. How I, I don't know when you had when did you get into this because I had no I have no idea about that actually. Well, I was an early adopter of Nirvana before Nevermind, but I was not an early adopter of uh, of this show. I got Apple Plus uh, at the recommendation of you and Dan to watch two shows: to watch Mythic Quest and to watch uh, uh, For All Mankind. And, uh, I got into it, I devoured it. And I think somewhere in the middle of, uh, our better call Saul first half of the season, uh, I finished what had been released and then short time later, season three began. Uh, so, so I been season one and season two, uh, and now I'm really enjoying season three. Gotcha. Um, and, and just to be, just for my own edification, just to be clear, Dan has never had Apple Plus, so it was just me. Dan, Dan had nothing to do with it. Just saying. <laughs> I guess I, I, I attribute, you, you said next generation. So I, I let me make my humblest apologies to you. Just because I made because, a Star Trek reference doesn't mean Dan. Doesn't because, mean. Uh, because, because then you recommended both Mythic Quest yep. and For All Mankind, and I devoured both of them. Uh, and found them both to be great. Oh yeah, when I did a, I actually recorded a podcast, a solo podcast, the best podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I recorded it while I had COVID <laughs> back in late December. And one of the things I did while I had COVID is like, wow, I I still got this free uh, Apple Plus subscription thing going for another couple of weeks. I'm pretty much trapped here. I'm just gonna watch everything. <laughs> and I think it was the I would love to say it was the first show I, I dived, I dove into. I think it was the second or third. So I think I finished more the morning show first. Uh, I had a few Ted Lassos to watch, then morning show. Then I went to For All Mankind. So it was like I, I finished it before the first two seasons before. I know I finished it before Christmas, and then and that was actually that show alone made me think I need to record a podcast just to get people to watch the show because I I didn't realize how great the show really was. Um, and then Mythic Quest, <laughs> but we're not talking about that here. So. Uh, an important thing on any show, especially when you're dealing with an ensemble, as opposed to, which is also a very big distinction between a show like The Old Man and then a show like uh, For All Mankind. And although obviously we mentioned there's a number of people on The Old Man, it's very much it. We're, we're, we are pretty much mostly pursuing a single story, and it's, it goes around. Whereas on a show like For All Mankind, um, we've got you know we've we've got a banquet. 
of characters um, to and to pick and choose from and 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 form our opinions about. Obviously, most of the characters tend to be astronauts or their extended families. So right off the and these are characters that we follow either through all three seasons, depending on their relative lifespans <laughs> or not. So you know because you, you've got Ed and Ka- like Ed and Karen Baldwin. Um. Who I, it, one can say at one for a lot of times they f- it feels like at times they're kind of like the main characters on the show until we start shifting to someone else you know like like a Margot Madison or something like that but I feel the, the since the story hinges at the very beginning like Ed Baldwin would have been our our, our Neil Armstrong so to speak but because the decision was made for to to to, to abort a landing which led to the Russians landing. So there that's baked in. I keep using the phrase baked in. I'm sorry. Uh, baked into his character. I was like, there's that slight tragic nature where you want, he, something he needs to overcome. He's, he's always striving for something because of that. And it impacts other characters as well. Not just his family. You have the Gordo Stevens character. Cause obviously it impacted him as well. Cause he was his co-pilot, if I recall, whatever. So it, it's just, I, the, the character's, could be what's really interesting about the the show is that the characters aren't necessarily made to be just perfectly likable they all and which you i guess you should expect but when you're dealing with astronauts astronauts automatically take on that kind of that heroic iconic feel to them it's especially astronauts from the, the the space race in the late '60s, going into the early '70s. They were they were rock stars. They were superstars. Everyone is so f- beautifully flawed, and they're and they're well, either they're a creature of their times or they have other issues going on as well. Um, so. I, I think as we're going to, as we talk about season one and season two, which we're going to talk, we're only going to talk about them, you know, a little bit here and there because we want to eventually just focus on the current season. But I think a lot of it's just how we watch these characters. And they still, even though they're, these guys are either they're in their twenties or thirties or forties or fifties, whatever, they still give, have room to evolve. And it's interesting when you see that. Like Ed Baldwin's character absolutely evolves throughout the series. Even though we still, but his flaw will always drag him back down to, oh, you're, you're back to season one and Baldwin again. So how do you, I mean, and, and Joel, and I'm, I'm a, I'm sort of kind of a fan of Joel Kimmon, you know, G- give me, give me a few months. I might be a bigger fan of him. Who knows? Um, but, um, I, I really, I would never would have thought the guy I was watching, you know, years ago on uh, that first season of the killing. Would be like this, you know, you know that this 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 big bow hunk of a astronaut dude. <laughs> so I, I've said enough. I'll let I'll, 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 I'll let I'll let you take the stand, sir. <laughs> uh, I'll say that uh, while I recognize some of the actors, um, it's an ambitious sized cast. And Joel Kinnaman is sort of the anchor of the cast. He's the most well-known person they promote to be sort of the face of the show. Um, And most of the other actors probably never had roles this big and this meaty on something this 
uh, or at least if they have, I apologize. I've not seen it. Um, but I mean, all of these actors, this is a pretty sort of middle, uh, tier, uh, uh, level uh, group of actors being promoted to prestige TV and doing great work. Um, So I'm not slamming them, but they got their chance and all the actors that got a chance on this. I mean, I think probably the person I recognize, I didn't recognize her at first because the way they portrayed her was we see Penny Widmore, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, plays a great character. Sonia Walger, is that her name? So I believe that is her name. Um, you know, who plays, you know, uh, an astronaut candidate and, um, yeah, Molly and, uh, the, the, every actor in this show that they pulled up, most of whom I don't recall see or weren't, didn't have memorable roles really does an excellent job. And, and it, it's a testament to the story they're telling and the history they put in that it's, it's believable. It there are minor changes that the ripple effect causes, um, but I love the cast and and they grow and people we like, it, people we hate become people we love and um, and unlike some other shows, um, this show you you don't know if somebody's going to make it or not with the day they bring to life the danger of space. Um, and that it's heroic and it's magnificent, but you know, a flying piece of dust at the wrong place could knock out your ship and you're dead. And, uh, so I, I think the casting is awesome. I've fallen in love with a lot of characters on this show and the, the way they've been written, the way they've been acted. And I've been blown away by the quality of the cast from top to bottom. Well, it's interesting. What I, I think what I was going to get to maybe if, if my brain it was operating the way it should be um the difference between something like the old man which um it's you went out and you got jeff bridges you went out and you got john lithgow boom boom those those are it's, it's like a movie those are the two names above the title it's just it's it's exceptional it's also star driven but when you have shows that are like that that aren't necessarily a quote-unquote ensemble and when i say ensemble obviously Every show that we talk about has a number of people, actors, characters on it. I mean, whether it be your Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, whatever. When I think of a show that tends to have more like a dozen, 15, 18, whatever, when it's a large number, those don't tend to be star driven. You tend, it tends to be actors. There'll be that one or two you recognize. Oh, I know that one from, sometimes you won't know their name. Like the actress who plays, um, like you mentioned, you know, Sonia Walter from, from Lost, um, the actress who plays Tracy Stevens, unless I miss my, unless I'm wrong, I think she was the, the female lead on, um, Alcatraz. That, I'm pretty sure that's her. Uh, if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I'm, I'm gonna say I'm, I didn't look, I don't have her name in front of me, of course, because I forgot to, <laughs> I, I have all the character names, I didn't put the actor names in front of me. I'm pretty sure she was on Alcatraz. Um, and it's, it was one of the things, because I was, I, was, I was looking at it, I was like, I recognize her, but, but she seems so young. And I'm like, how would I recognize her from something? And I'm like, oh, she's from Alcatraz. I, you know, I must have looked her up, because that's how I know. I, I have to be right about that. Um, but what's, what, what's always good about that is when you, when you have a show like that, um, 
and this could, you know, it applies to, we mentioned The Wire before, you know, a show like The Wire or, or any of those type of shows. That way the name doesn't uh, distract you. And so they're automatically whatever the part is. And then, then you can just, you can appreciate the performance, but then, it, but it helps you just to appreciate the characters that much more. Cause you're, you're never thinking about, oh, wow, I've never, I've never seen so and so do, do a thing like this before. No, cause I've never seen this actor before. So right. I always, I always think that's kind of an interesting dynamic. And I think a lot of times when we talk about any number of shows, um, while we might, you know, lead off talking about, you know, the name person, the people that we tend to be more ad have uh, lavish more admiration on are the are the actors that we didn't really might not have really known who they were before this. I mean, good lord, how 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 much did you guys gush about? Uh, is it Tony? Is it Tony Dalton? Is that his name? Yeah, Play, playing Lalo on on Better Call Saul for the last you know last couple of seasons. Did you guys know who? Did you really know him before Better Call? I mean, I didn't. I mean, I'm sure he I'm sure he has a list of credits. But I had not seen him before. Right. No, I, I think that part – and I think also my thinking in going into this is that, that Ronald D. Moore is almost like the equivalent of like in the 90s if Rick Rubin produced a group. Like you're going to check that group out. You might not like them, but you were going to be like, oh, Rick Rubin produced this. Like I'm going to check it out because he's done Johnny Cash. He's done Tom Petty Wildflowers and sort of and, – and I guess it makes sense if you look at Ronald D. Moore's history. I mean you give him an ensemble cast of people who really – there aren't a lot of stars in the project and he makes – he pretty much spins that into gold. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it, yeah. it – so, so, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, go, we go – just have to look at, you know, his big baby, Battlestar Galactica. I mean, we knew Edward James almost, you know, but basically we knew Edward James almost because, oh, the guy who was on Miami Vice and he, and he actually somehow got nominated for an Oscar for that teacher movie, right? <laughs> you know? Right. But there wasn't, we're not talking major star, however. Right. We're not it, talking Jeff Bridges. So it was like him and, um, I'm going to mess up her. Is it Mary McDonald? Is that her yes. name? Also, she had done some indies and done some film work. She, I think she also had pulled off an Oscar nomination or two for some smaller movies. Uh, one of them has Fish in the title. I don't remember what it was. But once you move beyond that, there's not, not, that of, of the main cast, we had most of us hadn't seen mo- most of those right. actors before. Same, so the same kind of thing. You know, Every once in a while, there might be something, oh, there's so-and-so. There's Lucy Lawless or something like that. Right. But generally speaking... Even today, like I'm, I'm watching something and it's like, oh, that's one of those guys who was, I think he was a Cylon from Battlestar, and I still don't know what his name is. I realize I don't know what half their names are. See, I, I, I need to be better friends with Dan because he knows all their names because he loves that show so much. I'm dropping Dan's name way too much on this podcast. Anyway. <laughs> Um, one other fun thing just to say about the show before we start getting into anything more specific. Um, I, it, it also kind of scratches my, you know, my, Ooh, I really enjoy this, uh, you know, itch because they have a really super inventive way of working in actual historical figures throughout all three seasons. And it, it starts right from the very beginning, whether it's the original Apollo 11 astronauts, of course, or, or Werner von Braun. I was like, Oh my gosh. But obviously you got Nixon, Ted Kennedy playing a really, really significant part in season one. Reagan, 
John Lennon, <laughs> you know, which one of those, not sure why that ripple happened that way, but I'm fascinated by it, right. you know, you know, Bill Clinton and, and so on. So I, I really enjoyed how they kind of pulled that off without it. I mean, it's, there's, it's, there's a little aspect of a stunt to it, but for the most part, it works for the story as well. Like, there's a reason why we have Johnny Carson is because Tracy Stevens keeps showing up on his show in season two. There's a reason we have Nixon because, you know, without Nixon, we don't have Nixon's women, and then women don't become part of the space program probably, you know, more than a decade earlier than they would have. And which leads me to my first thing just about the show in in general. When I was trying to recommend it to people, I would tell them, I like the first couple episodes, absolutely, because I'm already, like, I'm intrigued by the premise, and if you can pull this off, but it's when, you, I think it's the third episode, is is the, is the Nixon's Women episode, if I'm not mistaken. Once they add those characters into the mix, and that becomes one of the, one of the main uh, storylines from that point on, I think that takes the show to, it just goes up another level for me. And I, I that was when I said to him, oh, you got it. It's like, you don't have to, like, the first two episodes are good. I'm not telling you they're bad. But once we get to that one, like, you, you're you in. You're, you know, buckle up. Get ready. The show is going to take you on a really nice ride from this point on. Yeah, and, and the the politics of the show, um, dealing with the times and such, I think suggests, and I, I believe this to be true, suggests that, you know, all these human issues are inevitable. That, that that at some point a society has to grapple with race, has to grapple with sexuality. And it may not have happened exactly the way in this timeline, but you see the plausible way that, that a society who maybe is slightly affected uh, would be affected. One of the, one of the criticisms I saw that, that, that I just want to say is one of the criticisms I've seen is like, well, wow, like they're already at Mars in, in, you know, on this show now And we're not there now in our life. And I think it's an interesting exercise to think if we hadn't won with the push to to catch up, to to pass the Soviets, would would we have sped up and put more resources into space? Would would that have have been plausible? And I think certainly it it would have been. And And let me just say that makes me reflect on the very beginning of this show where you see the whole world watching and the way they flip it on you, um, that, that it's a Russian person on the moon is a great, you know, opening to set the tone because now, I mean, we don't have many events where the whole world is watching. And back then when, you know, there were two or three channels that you got, if your rabbit ears worked, uh, you know, the whole world's watching and it even shows one of our characters in Mexico with her family watching and dreaming of becoming, you know, an astronaut or a scientist. And um, I, I just think it's it's really fascinating in the way they handle the history, uh, I think, is done excellently, that, that, that not all Democrats are good guys, not all Republicans are bad guys, that that there's a mix of the two uh, in the alternate f- future that that you know, there are good and bad politicians on both sides and in the interest of NASA is trying to thread that needle. So I I think it's really well done. Right. I love the fact that there would be, um, any kind of, 
not backlash, pushback perhaps on the the the, the show's conceit that we had, um, or we we being the U.S. I guess we can say it that way um, would have gotten. To, we, we get to Mars in the nine in the mid nineties on this show, and we haven't even remotely come close to that in real life, whatever. And and conceive the show being well, if the space race had continued, it would the escalation would have continued, and so on. And I also think it's not a coincidence that the stuff with Mars is all happening in the early to mid nineties, and it was around the early to mid nineties when. I, if I'm not mistaken, um, a lot of the focus of what NASA was doing started to diminish. Um, I think funding started to be, it, it became why you, you started to hear the, the bigger chorus of voices. Why are we spending money on this when we should be doing that? And not that there weren't still technological advances that happened during that time, you know, like the Hubble telescope and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the whole the idea of manned missions to other planets and everything started to kind of become not even a pipe dream. It just wasn't really spoken about anymore. Whereas maybe even if you went back 10 years earlier, um, we were still talking about stuff like that. Quite frankly, I think the Challenger disaster also kind of had a chilling effect on the whole Na- uh, on NASA in, in real life. Um, I if I'm not mistaken, because it, it would have happened in between seasons, um, I don't think that ever happens in this alternate timeline. I don't think they're ever... They, they do experience other accidents in space, and which are amazing. Um, there is no... It, it's it's interesting. We're watching a show that, you know, there are, there are very soap opera aspects to it. There are very um, interesting historical drama aspects to it, whatever. There are a few shows that make me kind of catch my breath, like... <gasps> more than I've seen this show do to me. And I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get to one when we get, when, when, when in, that happened not that long ago in the third season where I have said that might be the most jaw dropping. I, I don't feel my heart anymore. Final minute. And I, I went back and I checked. It's a minute <laughs> of an episode since maybe season three of breaking bad and this kind of might might have had a bit more, a slightly more visceral reaction to me, even though I cared more about the character in Breaking Bad that the thing happened to. Um, so it, it's great that this show kind of is able to work in those aspects. You mentioned it yourself the the real life and death uh, issues that happen in outer space. We haven't seen that really depicted very much. Um, we, there was like that movie Gravity, maybe, or things like that, but the we call those out of our, our memory because they're few and far between. If there's no alien or, you know, meteor about to hit the planet, we haven't really seen that before. So it gives the show a kind of a nice bit of, we always love when we see something like, Oh, that's so original. We haven't seen that. So I, I kind of really admire that about the show. It, as well. It's the scope of the detail that it, it, it really part of this show. The star is the science of going to space and it's done in a way that, that doesn't talk down to the viewer. Um, that explains that, that, you know, it's not as simple as pointing your spaceship towards the moon and flying that you have to do all these things. And so it also sheds a light. Most of these shows are like, focused on the astronauts with just some of it being back at mission control that mission control is just conveying information and trying to fix problems. Uh, this show, you know, an equal amount of time is spent in mission control. Uh, 
and we learn that th- there's a lot of science, a lot of engineering, a lot of complicated thing for things that have to happen for this all to work. And it really is is fascinating that they do that, and it doesn't get boring, or it, it it's not told in a way that makes you want to tune out. It it's it's done really well. It's very smart storytelling. It's the the, the closest. Well, I'm gonna pull another one out of my butt here, so I think I'm forgiven with something once you hear this one. When you can take something which could come off as being very static and dry, which could be how dealing with scientists at mission control and calculations, which we get a lot of on the show could run. It reminds me of when the legendary screenwriter, uh, William Goldman was given the task of taking, you know, these, you know, thousands of pages of these reports and, and documents and turning it into all the president's men. And you're, you make it something that's, you, you find the storyline, you make it something that's relatable that's understandable and immediately compelling as a result of all that. And that's what he did. You know, he also came up with the idea of following the money, which is a man, which you know, now everyone's ripped off for the last 50 years. But that's what, what I'm thinking, what, going with what you're saying. It's kind of, I feel that's how they have handled like the mission control stuff and with, with actual engineer, you know, before this show, most of a lot of us, when we hear engineers in science fiction, we're thinking, oh, so Scotty? Right, <laughs> you know, or the or, or or Dan was here. He's he he referenced the the guy from Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. His name I just forgot. So uh, <laughs> Chief, I'm about to call him Chief O'Hara, but wait, no, it's the wrong show. <laughs> there are so many people yelling at me right now. Into the, it's, like, it's and I'm like, I, I think the guy was on Hell on Wheels. You know what I mean? He's yep. got an Irish name, I think, or Scottish. I don't remember. Well. I'll edit that out later. So no, no, I won't. No, I won't. No, you I don't, won't. I don't care. He's he's not going to listen, so I don't care. So I mean, you you've got you you've got the amazing way they they look at, and you already mentioned this to a certain degree. Um, the lens in which we look at society through these characters, and and so how they deal with the issues of everything you've mentioned, be it be it race, be it sexuality, be it all those things, and how they play a part moving forward. And it's interesting when we see it play out, and then we're reminded of certain things. Either it goes back to, you know, back in season one into season two, when we real, when we've already know that one of the female astronauts is actually a lesbian and how that has to play out and how she has to basically live a secret life. And that becomes a bigger thing later on when you realize, She's ascended to the presidency while still keeping that secret. And and you have to love what the the writers came up with. Like they do that. And she's a Republican. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really, I was like, I was like, wow, hats off to you guys. That's really, really interesting that you, that you, you went that in that, in that direction. Um, but then that becomes a bigger, and it's one of the things we're waiting to see how the rest of the season plays out because now we have the, what, you know, the, the precursor or, or a, a new version of what, what was Clinton's, uh, don't ask, don't tell policy. Gee, I love it. I have to come up with it. I have to come up with it. She went to come up with that phrase, you know, so it's like, you know, what is it? In uniform, out of uniform, whatever it's they call it. 
it, it, I forget it's something like like like, uh, like only uniform matters or something like you know you, yeah. you can't be asked about your sexuality and, and, and it, it's a, it's a creative way to not just rip off history but to say here what's what's a clever way to thread the needle and, and you know I think also something that sort of in brief something this show does great is that it will touch on something and not dwell on it. This show wastes no time uh, uh, treating you like if there's a time jump or anything, not explaining it to you, asking you to sit and learn it. But like I think of Danny's husband, you know, coming back from Vietnam and being affected by Vietnam. And you see in their relationship was reflected the battle of the country, like the respect for the uniform and service versus the disillusionment with the war. Um, and, and in that little bit of the story, also the complications of, you know, uh, of them being in America where they weren't entirely equal to other people, there's a lot baked into that little story they tell very well and tell a tragedy. Um, and they could have very easily made her be disillusioned, but she stays true to NASA and true to wanting, you know, to, to be the best version of herself and go to space again. And, uh, that that's just an example of the little bits of history that they put into the story that resonate, that tell you a lot uh, about the characters and about the times that they do very well. Right. One of the more fascinating um, character threads to follow through all three seasons is actually, you think from the outset, it's going to be Ed Baldwin's character. And, and he is a very interesting character uh, for a number of reasons, especially when we get um, into the third season. But it's his wife, Karen Baldwin, who turns out to be probably a lot more interesting than we might have expected when the show starts. When the show starts, she feels like she's, you know, she's your, what, what we have been accustomed to see as your prototypical astronaut wife. She's the astronaut's wife. <laughs> you know, is, that a, is that a book title or something? Is that, um, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but when we see the journey her character takes... And I, I think a lot of it, ha- it happens after the, the loss of their son, Shane, which is, um, they, they, they don't shy away from doing something like that. That was pretty horrible, but they did it. Yep. But, and it's, and either you want to say it's also reflective of how a woman's place actually, you know, be, be, becomes to become more important in history and in and, and, and time. And also maybe things as due to those ripples and due to good Lord, due to Nixon of all people, which I, I again, love that idea that also in its own way helps the women's movement, you know, that right. push it, pushes it, pushes it up, pushes it more to the foreground, it makes it a bigger issue for, for people. Um, and more. Personal. So we, we see how she becomes an, an entrepreneur, you know, an owner of a business. And to when you get to the third season, she's like, she wields power. She wields power at that point. Now, the fact that she does make one rather weird, disturbing decision in her life, which I, at the time, I was like going, no, no, why, 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 why? Karen, you're not even a Karen now. I don't know what you are right now, but <laughs> she, he was your son's best friend, your kid. <laughs> I mean, dude well done dude but come on karen anyway and and let me say though the stakes of that Mm. uh and that decision i agree with you is like what the hell 
but boy, did it does it add some serious tension <laughs> to some stuff happening, uh, you know, in the oh. very last episode. Oh that, my lord, yeah. That 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 you know the the ripple effect of that decision is still with us. <laughs> That's a huge ripple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, let, 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 let me zip through a couple things in the first two seasons so we can get there. The only other thing I want to say about, like, especially that first season, um, I, I can't talk about the show and not give at least 30-second shout-out to the High Bob episode. I am, I am a noted Bob Newhart fan. I love the Bob Newhart show. I love the Newhart show. I even love the one where he's a goddamn cartoonist. <laughs> <laughs> which I believe is just called Bob. You know, yeah. if you had done another show, it would be just B. Um, but the whole idea when you have it, it's uh, Baldwin, uh, Danielle, and Gordo are pretty much marooned at the Jamestown uh, base on the moon for a while. And all they have to entertain themselves is basically, I think it's like a tape of like six episodes of the Bob Newhart show. So, right. so you even have, you even have moments where they're, they're, they're reenacting the entire episode, which, and I'm like, I actually know what episode that is. I have that on DVD. It's amazing. <laughs> Whatever. And, and one of the, 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 the drinking game, so to speak, that was associated with the Bob Newhart show is whenever someone would walk in, they would say, hi, Bob. And you, if you're watching you and you're drinking, you have to do a shot, but just, it's actually, a, it's, it's actually a thing. Look it up. I'm not making it up. So <laughs> if I, I think when I knew that, that I saw that up, the title of that episode, I, 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 I saw the little description. I said, hmm. So I poured myself a little something and I did the, <laughs> I did the high Bob shot game while I was watching that episode. So thank you, uh, Ronald D. Moore for helping me to, you know, redevelop my drinking problem. <laughs> But 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 I mean that that's another example of a great touch that that that's become a runner through the whole show. Yes, I love that. That that, that that high Bob means it's basically like the for all mankind equivalent of I am Groot. Like it means yes. everything. Like right. like if they see sometimes when you're sad, it's it's high Bob. Sometimes when you're uh, you know happy or just a, a salutation. Uh, but it's this shorthand of people who shared this very intense experience together, and it, it really becomes sort of both comic and touching in a way. Yeah. For some reason, uh, I'll be like, Oh, look, look how many times is Scott going to reference a movie to make it, to make a point. But especially cause that happens, um, since that would have been in the early seventies. Cause I think the first season is basically 69 through roughly 74 before the time jump at the very end, which doesn't count. Um, so I always think of the movie The Sting, where there's a shared signal that, that that's even that ends with where they just like stroke their finger across their nose, which I I used to love doing that, and people wouldn't get it. It's like, oh, go watch The Sting, man. I'm thinking, oh, they would have been watching The Sting back then. It came out in anyway. Um, oh, so now we can get to season two because one of the things I really I think we both really enjoy about the show is, um, and you have to look, for, you always look, it's something to look forward to when you get to the final episode is you'll get the final episode and then it's almost like it's almost like the Marvel movie post credit thing. Mm-hmm. G- give me that give me that final scene so I want to know where we're going and we jump from like I said it was 1974, we jump from 74 to 83 in the second in, for the second season. I love they always they always have to incorporate a somewhat but maybe not exact but somewhat time appropriate song <laughs> as the background because they do that again at the end of the second season although it's not really you know 
eh, whatever. Uh, I, I let it go because I think they jump because then the second season takes place pretty much in 1983. Maybe I don't know if it even nudges into 84 or not, or not. I can't remember if it actually makes it that far. But we get the sneak peek of season three at the end of that one, and they jump to 1995, right? But they're playing. Isn't isn't aren't they playing the Nirvana song? Yeah. Is it a is it Come As You Are? Is that the one that they use at the end of that? I think. Mm, I, I don't remember if it was that one, but it was Nirvana. I think it, I think it's Come As You Are. I'm pretty sure it is. Because um, I remember going 95. Cobain's already dead at that point. They, 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 <laughs> I noticed because then yeah, they started using Black Hole Sun. I was like that's I think that is 95. That should have been anyway. So, I mean, I, I prefer the Nirvana song, but just saying. Anyway, um, oh, so season two. Also, by the way, we're we're, fo- we're following. I like also following how you know Ellen, the astronaut. You know how her how she escalates from season to season. How she moves up the ranks. We have the same thing with Margot Madison, and she's like our folk. She becomes our focal point at Mission Control, especially after Deke uh, gets killed off and at the end of season one. And oh, she moves up the ranks. And by the way, I'll gotta give the I'll give the character credit. It's like, well, you you've aged very well, Margot Madison. <laughs> because I I keep trying. You start doing the math of how old she must be, because she's there in 1969. Now I don't know if they ever establish how old her character is in 69. I don't think she's 18. <laughs> You know, right. I'm thinking she's got to be a little bit older than that. <laughs> maybe not much. Maybe she's in her. Maybe she's supposed to be in her early twenties. I'll, I'll I'll go along with that. Right. I guess. All right. So then. All right. Forty five. Twenty five. Oh no. No. Wait. That's plus. That carry the one. I don't know. Anyway. Season two is. I I call season two like okay. This is where we got bonkers. Because they got guns on the moon. <laughs> mm-hmm. The thing I most want to give them credit for is like, you know, it's stupidly plausible that you, that they would have guns because you didn't decide, you know what? We're in space. We must have the technology for lasers at this point. Nope. They didn't go there. (laughs) They're just carrying guns. Even though everything about that is like, that can't be a good idea. (laughs) Nothing about that is a good idea. And quite frankly, you could all you need really need is a slingshot and something sharp. <laughs> Do you really need a gun? Right, but but I love I love that you see the the political reality of the show is that everything NASA does also has a military component to it, and that and that you have who in season three we haven't seen uh, you know sort of the the later version of that. But in season two, we see that, you know, member of the Joint Chiefs that's always at NASA that's that's talking to them and, you know, keeps secrets with Margot that, you know, the rest of the astronauts don't know. And and we see that, you know, as she moves up, that it's not as simple as just doing the mission. You also have to work with Congress. You have to work with the military. And uh, and I and I thought the same thing. I would hate. Ten years ago, I would have thought it was less plausible than now. Now I'm not so sure. We're not so stupid that if you know, no matter how we went, somebody would have a freaking gun with them to, to you know to shoot somebody. But uh, but the the story 
it was really interesting because it was told in a way that you, you want to win as an American. You, you know, you're still pulling for it. But you also see the other side of it that at some point, like, like, can't science win? Why does it have to be, you know, American or Russian can't just all of us for all mankind want another place to go, you know, in the event that, that something happens here for the future. And uh, I think it's done really well. And I, and I love that story. And, you know, that sort of leads to probably the best thing that, that this show has done so far to bring two characters story arcs to a heart wrenching, but yet somehow satisfying conclusion. I'm assuming you're talking about the Stevens family. Oh yeah. So Gordo Stevens is a great character on the show. Um, I love that he, he um, because whereas Ed Baldwin is kind of a character who's kind of made out of stone, and he cracks here and there, but he still stands pretty sturdily. Um, Gordo uh, caves in, caves in on himself ever since the incident uh, when they were marooned. And the trauma through that, and and, the, and even the lie that had, that had to be perpetuated as to um, who actually was being rescued, and, and so on um, at, at the James something between him and Danielle, and whatever. And the fact that this is a guy who was like, you know, the image of machismo, and he was like, well, so so very set uh, late sixties, seventy, <laughs> you know, whatever, and to let, and then he just lets himself go. <laughs> So you've got it. It's it's almost it's almost a, almost a rocky like transformation. Where like we're really, it's like I just want to see if he actually how much they ha- how much weight he actually loses. If he's like they're gonna have him get totally thin, will he still be a little thick? Whatever. I'm totally relating to you here, man. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, so you have that track, and we're following him. And meanwhile, Tracy, his wife, has become or ex-wife at this point. Wait, ex-wife at this point? Yeah, ex-wife at this point. That's right, because she's with the other dude. Um, She's gone. She's gone and become a star. She, you know, she she's she's like she's almost like the, the the big promotional tool for NASA at this point. You know, like I said, her showing up on Johnny Carson all the time and, and things of that nature. So the fact that they were able, if you told me the story like in like two or three sentences, you know, before the season even started, I'd be like, well, that's kind of dumb, and they pull it off. Oh yeah, and they they big time. they pull it off. To a degree of being, up until one moment, up until one thing, completely plausible, and even a thing that I'm like going, what? And it's like, you know what? It's so bonkers. <laughs> Just go with it, man. And then, and then when you realize, oh wait, where they are really going, it's a gut punch. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive gut punch. Yeah, and. Uh- the, the, a, a lot of relationships on this show um, are, aren't resolved in a traditional way. And it looks at relationships in a very complicated way that, you know, I think Gordo took her for granted until she was gone. And then she went and lived a life that was completely unfulfilling for her and, and sort of empty had the sports car and the Carson, but she wasn't very happy either. And, uh, you know, there was a familiarity in their kids and stuff that, that, 
you know, in a different life, if you had an alternate, alternate timeline, perhaps the two of them could have been happy, but not in this one. And, uh, and when she outshines him, he, you know, becomes the drunk and, uh, and then, you know, when he finally pulls it together and again, it's Ed, Ed, you know, just about kicks his ass on the side of the highway that night. And when Ed makes him do it, he does do his duty. And, uh, it, but, but when they do what they do, I, I think what touched me most was you almost felt like he was saying, you know, I'm going to do it. Cause like, I got nothing to live for, you know, when he's going to do it. But when she's like, where do you think you're going and goes with him? Like that just, I mean, even saying it now, I get chills. Like, like, you know, they both know there's very little chance at all they'll survive and they both go do it. And if you would have told me at the beginning of the show, guess the two people there would be statues of at some point in the show, you would not have guessed those two characters. No, not like that. Not like that. Not right. Not as heroes. No. So it was for me, I, I thought, I mean, uh, I thought the first season was very good. I actually think the second season kind of built on the foundation of that first season. And I, I, I probably put it like a notch above be, simply because the bonkers ending alone. It's like, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. I'm like, oh. and you know, and there's other little bits of things in, that happens throughout the course of that season, which are like, Oh, you know, what happens to Molly with the, with the, in fact that she's, we know that she's eventually going to be blind as a result of it. By the way, love the relationship between Molly and her husband that we see early on and how that actually transfers over to the relationship of uh, Molly's husband and Karen um, I, I, there are little things here and there. I just really, um, those are really fun and nice character developing moments for, for all three involved, quite frankly, but especially. Oh, I love the, the husband. Oh, the husband he's like, fantastic. he's like the pot smoking Buddha of uh, like, you know, support Buddha and the way that he supports Molly and then sort of counsels Karen, um, you know, and gets Karen to smoke a little grass, like they used right. to say back in the day. Grass. That 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 you know, when Karen goes <laughs> to hang out, she's no longer hanging out with the astronaut circle, you know, wives circle. She's going over and hanging out with him and and smoking pot and and talking about life. And that's a great little you know, just peek into the counterculture. Uh, and, and you see that guy, the artist, the, you know, my life is art and, and thinking deep thoughts and, uh, another great flourish and a well-developed minor character. Oh, and just to throw it out there before we get into season three, um, since we're talking about those two characters, um, and on this podcast, we're familiar with them a little bit because, um, the actor who plays that, that character, we saw him briefly in early on in uh, Peacemaker. Um, when he, when Peacemaker goes into that one, uh, goes into that one apartment, uh, the husband and wife were arguing and tied up. That's him. And for fans of the boys, the butcher's wife and whatever, that's the, that actress, that's Karen, ba- that's the actress who plays Karen Baldwin. I remember going, cause I remember when I was watching the boys, like, again, I was like, why do I know her? Or vice versa. I don't remember which I saw, which, which I was watching one and I thought of the other. I can't, actually, it must have been the other way around. When I was watching For All Man, kind of, I recognize his wife. Then it hit me like, oh, okay, from the boys, whatever. Well, it was a good podcast. I'd actually say the actor's name, but I'm not that good. So fuck it. So third season. <laughs> <laughs> if the second, okay, 
if the first season is just about, you know, continuing the space race after losing the moon, and the second race is basically the war on the moon with guns, (laughs) then the third season is the race to Mars. Um... And also, oh, by the way, I love the fact that because if you, it's the little details, if you're really paying close attention, that one of, because if people were whining about, well, oh, we got to Mars and then we're not there yet, it's like, hey, you know something? That they, they if, if they're, they're very subtle about it, because of the continuing space race and, and NASA having a much bigger presence for, for all these years, are you noticing that technological advancements are happening earlier than they actually did in, quote unquote, the real world. I noticed that, you know, certain things relating to either it be phone technology or computer technology, I'm noticing, well, that's happening a little quicker. Something I, I just, it's a little, it's a little, little bit here and there. You got to go back and watch. You'll be like, wait a minute. Did they have that? Go look at it. No, no they, they, things got moved up a little bit. Little yeah. Bit. Think about the quality of the video conferencing technology that, that, you know, I mean, yeah, Hey, the world just came on with video conference technology the last couple of years because of COVID, but you see the astronauts, you know, having video link communications with their loved ones in, in a way that, that even if they did back then would not have been at the quality we see them at there. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it is subtle, but it's, it's well done. So Kubrick got it right in 2001 people just saying, anyway, so, (laughs) Which also featured calls from home and actually mm-hmm. racing. Wow, genius! God, that guy, that guy can make a movie. Anyway, <laughs> so like I said, it's the race to Mars. But what I love, and I think everyone else watching or gets a kick out of, maybe love is a little strong. We know that the show and the series at this point is taking place in the early nineties. Because yeah, we fast forward to see nineteen ninety five, but when the show picks up, it's actually a couple years before that, and we eventually get there. But I love that they have a nod to what's going on in more present day, because the race isn't simply between the U.S. and, and Russia. There is a third party. Uh, it's, a, it's what's been going on in private industry, except this guy is not from Amazon or Virgin or anything. He's from a company called Helios Aerospace. And that's where we meet another new major character. And that's uh, the fellow's name is Dev Ayesa. Uh, I like, I, I've always seen that character play like real, like killers and tough guys for some reason. He always seems to be that guy. So I kind of like seeing him in a role like this. And I kept thinking, oh, it feels like he's kind of an amalgam of a couple different historic figures. And you can kind of plug in who what aspects of what what which real life person you see in him um i I just thought that was kind of a very interesting way to go about it especially when his company was one that um is run in a certain way where it's done as a collective but no it's like wow everything that's happening to this company is very ahead of its time because it reminds me of what we've seen more in the last several years, you know, the it's kind of like the, the, the we work mentality kind of thing, you know, where right. you don't have offices or it's, it's just, I, I'm, and I, I kept thinking, Oh, okay. So those ripples that somehow kept John Lennon from being assassinated <laughs> and, and Gary Hart ended up, we, we spent no time with Gary Hart as president. Did anybody notice that? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, but they mentioned it. So I, I got a kick out of it. But I just like okay, so Ripple's even infected private industry in this way. It's it's a ver- it's just one of those interesting changes that you wouldn't have anticipated. But it also makes for 
the whole storyline for, for most of what we've watched this season has been the race between the three parties. And this is what I was talking about before. And I'll let you finally step in here where, okay, forget the Russians. How do you decide who to root for? That, because you know, outside of one character, <laughs> I'm going to be ripping him apart a little bit later. You like everybody else on Helios, but you like the people on the U.S. ship too. But Ed never, but you, it's like, who you, and I got so torn on who I wanted to root for. Because patriotism be Dan. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about Ed and I was thinking about Danielle. And there are excellent reasons for either, to want either one of them to quote unquote win that race. And, and I said, no matter what, how I react to whatever happens, I, I don't know if I'm going to feel more disappointed or happy, no matter who it is. And they, <laughs> And they kept they kept screwing with us. <laughs> you know, it's going to be her. No, it's going to be him. Who oh, no, knows? It's going to be. <laughs> well, I mean, I think at, at some point I, I resigned myself to just say anybody but the Russians. Like yes, like you know anybody but the Russians. But I think season three, my favorite thing, um, and I will enter this the Star Trek chat here, uh, the classic Star Trek argument: Who's the best captain? And I think there's a real strong argument after watching season three that Danielle kicks ass and maybe because of the way she operates her ship, the way that she interacts with the Russians, I think that I was pulling for Danielle because I think she may be the best captain we've seen on the show so far. Hmm. So I am going to take the counterpoint to that. <laughs> not just because, because, because I will, since I'm all about being honest, because that's what I do. Um, I was rooting for him. I was rooting for him because I felt, um, it's funny. Let's, let's do, oh, we'll do the captain. We'll actually, we'll make this a captain conversation. I actually, I kind of like that tech and, and cause this reminds me of the, it's, it's your typical Star Trek nerdy. Yeah, exactly. Conversation. Kirk, people, Picard, do Jane. Pick Kirk, do you pick Janeway? Do you pick Picard? Do you pick, um, Cisco? Um, actually, and if Dan was here, he picked Cisco and he might be right about that. Um, or now when you, Bring in the later shows. Pike is now can be part of that conversation. Pike, because in some ways, Pike is like an amalgam of a couple of them. If you think about it, um, first of all, but, but okay, just on the captaincy, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with what your assessment of Danielle per se, as far as the difficulties of what she's dealing with, as far as the the, the Russians. However, but Ed's also in a more in a very strangely unique situation because he's had to go from being you know basically a a flag waving symbol of of NASA for twenty five thirty years now practically, and now working for this where he where he ends up making decisions that few, no one else would do. He sh- he shuts them off. He t- he takes control of the situation, and most wouldn't do that. I don't know. I, I'm not. Sh- maybe she would. I don't know that she would. Maybe she would. I don't know I, that I, she would. I think that Dev made the right call to put him in charge of his ship. The the and the yeah. The thing is, he whether it be his experience or his stature or whatever it is, 
One big thing about being captain is he commands respect from the get-go. And he gets it from the get-go, except from that one character who we're going to get to. (laughs) Well, but but that's his weakness is – Yes. His weakness is, you know, that he puts loyalty above safety, above other things that that, that perhaps a more tactical captain would say – that's not the well, right person or, you know, this, maybe this isn't the right choice. But it's all, but, uh, but, but all this, but, but uh, you're not wrong, except it's really all about the Stevens family. Yeah. And it's the, whether is how, he, and he was, who's the one, like, as you said earlier, who's the one who put Gordo in the place that he was by the time you get to the end of the season? That's it. That's Ed Baldwin responsible for that. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it was the right call. Even though he was, you're right, it was done, there was something about loyalty. Although, one would tell you when it comes to, because keep in mind, the whole, either you're separating NASA from the military or whatever, he is very much a military man as well, in the way he goes about things. You know, he has he has rank and stature in that, in that sense. Now, his failing, his weakness, is because he wants to see Gordo in Danny. Because it's the same bloodline, you figure it, whatever. And that's, you're right, that's his failing. And either he chooses not to see the reality of it until a little later on, later than than than, than would have helped, I guess. Um, I, I, that I can't deny. You, you're absolutely right about that. I'm still amazed that we haven't had the scene of, of the guy basically bursting out that he slept with his wife. Um, I was like, really? We still haven't got that scene yet? But, but give them credit for not doing that, I guess. Um, I thought it was going to happen this week, as a matter I, of fact. I was positive. I was shocked it didn't happen. It's like, that's because <laughs> I figured, what could be, what could that kid do that could be worse than that? Like, oh, right. wait, wait, wait five minutes. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one could point to that, and I, I would, it's hard to argue against that. I, I, I I don't know if I want to hold that one that one thing against him overall as who I'm rooting for and who is a better captain because because he because he had to make the hard call to not land in 1969 and then again in 1995. I guess it's 95, right? Yeah. As and you know he wanted to absolutely and you, and 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 the fact that he was denying himself that. Is almost more. It's more impressive than him actually landing eventually because it's like wow. Um, plus, Daniel got that moment when, when she got to shake hands with the Russian. So you know, she yeah, yeah. But that's the point I was going to make <laughs> is that moment never happens if that's Ed, and that moment changed the space race. I mean, we we hear that ripple effect of that moment is what changed the president's mind on on the space race and i think it was reagan that called actually nasa to say like you know seeing that was so inspirational that that it changed my mind and the rigidness of ed the rigidness of ed in some situations is a benefit but the the ability of danielle to be a little more flexible i think in situations like that and working with other people uh, you know, ma- makes me lean her way. And mm-hmm. I think of the moment with the Russians. Um, and I also think like, you know, in, in Danielle, if it was Ed and the Russian tried to go out and be the first one on the moon, Ed would have clocked him. Danielle instead just like runs by him and elbows him. 
and they both they're res- you know, they're wrestling on the ground. Yes, it's awesome. <laughs> it's like two kids. Like, no, I want to be first. But uh, but I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, would I get if I was going somewhere? Would I want to ride with Ed? Absolutely. I I. Yeah. But I think season three has been great to see Danny get her chance to be a captain, and and I and I've been really. Her storyline for me this season has been the most rewarding. Right. Um, and if it's true to the Hewlett jinx, then that means maybe, you know, she'll be the character that they'll screw over and, and take out. But, uh, but I love that part of it. And I think she's to see her finally get her moment was awesome. I won't deny any of that. And I do love the character. Um, I don't know if either, well, why not just be honest about it? Whether Ed shakes the Russians, if he if Ed was the one in that situation of the the whole handshaking thing, again, being honest here, even if he does shake the hand, I don't think it has quite the same impact or effect that Danielle shaking the person's hand and why it was such a big moment. So that's so I that's why I don't want to really use that because then you add another element which isn't one that. Is what, yeah, what, what but Ed wouldn't even smile. Ed wouldn't have smiled at the camera. <laughs> anyway, uh, look. Hey, I, I am. I. 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 It's. It's. I will die on this hill because you know. I'm just you know. Plus, okay, viewers, weigh in. Uh, or gonna, listeners, we're all gonna pick Daniel because they're all. They're all weigh in on the Facebook page and tell us what you think. All conditioned for the obvious response. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That that's me, Pavlov. <laughs> then she gets all pissy. Like, oh, you didn't tell me. <laughs> lost my respect there. I go. All I have to say is hi, Bob. NDA, man. NDA. <laughs> so, I, at this point in the series, I'm like, wow. You know, I love Gordo Stevens, and I love Tracy Stevens, but I hate their kids. I have not liked Danny pretty much. Well, let's be honest. I haven't liked Danny since he slept with Karen to begin with. <laughs> and... Them upping the creepy factor with him from from episode to episode. Before we even got into space, we were already like, uh, so when once you have Ed adding him to the thing, it's like, okay, so so that is your ticking time bomb on this ship. So mm-hmm. we're just gonna wait and see how this plays out. And well, they found a way for that to play out. Um, uh, I, I look. I'm not saying that I'm rooting for a character to die, but I am saying I won't mind very much. If he does. What, what you're saying is I'm not rooting for him to die, but if somebody has to die, yeah, it's okay. That it's him. But, but I will say I, I like what they did this season. And I think one of the moments you alluded to earlier was the Holy shit moments in this show mm-hmm. that, they start the season with him being a hero. Yes. That, that he saves everybody's life on that Helios station um, and does something even Ed can't do. And they, they take him from there and drive him slowly off a cliff all season. Right. Yeah. Th- th- it's, it's, it's actually, you're, you're absolutely right. They, they establish him as being a heroic figure. Um, Oh, it's the Outer Space Hotel that ends yeah. up being bought by Helios when Karen, Karen basically makes a deal with them for it. But it's like, you know, anyway, um, although 
Oh, hmm, coincidentally, the one person to die we know is Karen's husband in that one. Interesting. <laughs> How'd that work out? <laughs> he was getting married, so I was like, oh. anyway, just saying. Um, even though there's that one moment that happens in that cut of that episode where I swore, I was like, did they just kill him? Oh, yeah. Remember, there's that quick cut where it looks like something's about to, you know, knock him off or hit hit his helmet or whatever it was. And I said, oh, they did. And I was <laughs> I was already kind of happy that they killed him. I thought because it's like, oh, good. No, I don't want. I don't want the you know creepy around anymore. And no, no, he's still still alive. Well, it's it's that moment too that happens a few times in this show that that it's confronting your mortality. Would you rather be all alone out in the middle of, o- of the ocean, or would you just think of your body flying through space, knowing that that's it? Like when you run out of oxygen, you're you're done. And just out in the cold darkness of space, and uh, so I, I, it, if I had to give one of my main thoughts about this show, is I've never seen better looking stuff in space than this show, and that on Mars on this show, it, the the degree of care and craftsmanship of all of the the space stuff is phenomenal. And the thing about it is it doesn't look like a Marvel green screened, you know, super thing. It looks very real. Yeah, they do a fantastic job with that. Um, Gone are the days where you can, you know, you have the odd little, you know, blue screen cutouts around ships as they move through, like like back in the old Star Wars days, which now it's all digitally cleaned up. Um, they're They're convincing to the degree where you never question it. And that's really something to be so a show that doesn't that doesn't necessarily dwell on special on the need for special effects, but definitely utilizes them when necessary because you are telling a tale of a space exploration. Um, it's always done in a convincing fashion. So yeah, uh, they they don't they feel like they don't spare any a dime on this show. Although I'm sure, uh, well, not having any big names in the cast probably helps also. But uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, probably save a few bucks on that. <laughs> yeah, they just have some. They've had some great. Uh, this has been the season where they've had some great episode enders. I mean, that one where when they're trying to uh, rescue uh, the. the 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 Russians and how that goes horribly wrong. I mean, I I I seem to think it was probably due to the failings of the captain at the time. But uh, you know, I think I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just I, at least she didn't put a drug addict in charge of the drill. Okay. No, she just made, she just made sure her her chef got steamrolled. <laughs> And I and I cheated there. I know that really Ed didn't put him in charge. Like the, the other dude did while he ran numbers. So I'll be I'll be fair and give that one to you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you so much. I kept thinking he was gonna have like a I kept thinking he was having like a Tony Soprano moment by the way he was reacting to the barking dog. I was like, is this gonna be like the singing fish from the Sopranos? <laughs> I'm dropping references left and right. I'm coming out with everything. I'm gonna go outside this habitat and look at the ducks in the pool. <laughs> So we've we we got to the latest episode, which yeah, um, because of uh, El, El Drago over there, <laughs> and I I mean I was getting a little confused because I kept thinking, wait a minute, Ed's bleeding, right? I mean it looks like he got punctured, 
but they yeah. they were able to do something to that are, are they just holding his his unif- his outfit together by his hand or did they put some tape over it in time or something? It, it looked like they put like some sort of patch over it duct tape um probably duct tape oh wait probably no, that's what but i kept thinking it's like but, but uh, you had that scary i was like wait are they gonna are they gonna kill ed because as he pointed out that's the thing with the show they could yeah it's a convenient thing about not having a star-driven show. Guess what? <laughs> we can pretty much kill any. As we showed you in season two, it's like, oh yeah, the 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 the, the, the second the second tier uh, male and female leads. Yeah, we're we're killing them. Yeah. And well, you know, and if uh, with the special effects budget, sorry, Kinnaman, you got to go. That's okay. I can find you some other work to do, Joel. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> No, at the end of the day, it's been a really fun, thrilling ride with this series. Um, Again, I I would say if this show was in the binge format, oh my god, it's 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 done in a weekend, absolutely. Um, But you know, all it, it falls under the all good thing to those who wait. I don't mind waiting. I don't mind because just ha- just having to reserve that f- that fifty minutes to an hour a week means I have plenty of time to watch other things throughout that week instead of having to you know wipe out a weekend watching ten hours or something. So I, I have no I have no problem with uh, Apple Plus doing it in that format. I kind of like. I think what they all should do, by the way, and this will be my last comment on this topic for a while. I hope I kind of like the. What we've seen, um, I mean, Amazon Prime did it, I think, uh, with, with the boys and whatever. I like, give me a few episodes right off the top, and then one a week from that point on. A, yeah. few, sh- a few shows have done that. I, I'm like, okay, I like that. Because usually, if you've been waiting for whatever number of months, so okay, g- give me a few to like, oh, you know, I got my fix, you know, I got that weekend, and then I can, I can ease into, okay, now I can watch it once a week. Because those, I, those shows, it, it worked for me with all those shows that do that, you know. Absolutely, and I was going to say, it, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind, um, and I wouldn't mind if that if shows went to a hybrid model between binge and what you're saying, if they didn't do what Stranger Things and Better Call Saul have done, and that is like take a break halfway, and, and then like a month later pick up again. Mm-hmm. Because there's just something about allowing you to digest part of the show and reflect on what it means before the ending of the show right. that I think gives the ending to whatever you're watching greater significance. And I've thought a lot about it since we talked about Ozark, that I think you, I think you had nailed it when we talked about that, that that, that really killed the final season of Ozark. Like, yeah. y- you know, uh, the, the buildup, the... When it came out, it just it came and went and was gone. And uh, if if you build something, I mean, think about the month wait between Saul. Think about the month wait between Stranger uh, Things. That really built anticipation for that ending, yep. both in the audience and built sort of a buzz that that if your first half delivers, you have a month to talk about and and articles and press and. So I think at the bare minimum, for me, I I hate waiting, 
but man, it, it it's worth it when when you build up that anticipation for the finale. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, it just it gives you the opportunity to have more conversations if you if you choose to with other people, either it be in person or social media, as opposed to hey, did you finish it yet? Right, which exactly. is always what it is now. It's always like, did you finish? Like, oh, I haven't. Fin- okay, well, we can't talk about it yet. All right, right. You don't, you don't get to be on the same page with everybody else at the same time, and I you know and look. I think some have gotten spoiled by the binge model. So now it's like, because it it is very, I want, I want everything all at once right now kind of a thing. And I get that. It's not like, I don't feel that way myself about certain shows. I just think I like it for some shows and other shows. I am more than content. I actually prefer waiting. I like what you say. I like the, the building of anticipation. I like trying to figure out and think about things and theor- or shows that theorize. And for those who support, who, who go on and on about the binge model, and we know folks, you know, some of them are actually listeners, whatever. And, but a lot of us became friends, at least on the internet, due to a little show called Lost. And I always point out to them, let me ask you, would Lost have worked for you if it had been purely a binge model? Because guess what? You wouldn't have met any of the friends you have right now. There wouldn't have been a podcast you would have followed week after week. You wouldn't have had any time to make any theories or any speculation because you would have gotten it all at once. You would have just been speculating about the next season. That's it. You never would have been able to speculate within a season. And that, and, and I think for shows like that, it deserve, they deserve to have... When is it, whenever it's somewhere you don't know what might happen, I like make me wait a little bit. And I, and that's why I think the Netflix model kind of works against itself. And I mentioned like what were those, like, or I mentioned with that, um, what was it called? Archive 81 or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Right. If that show had been given the opportunity to build, I'm telling you it would have built an audience. Yeah. It was a good show. And cause I, we would have been wondering and speculating, you know, after every, every single episode, you know, Dark probably would be a much, I mean, thankfully it, it did have a few seasons. Part of me thinks a lot of it's why the success is largely a lot of it's due to its appeal across the, the world, not just in the U S but I would, I think that show would also work even better if I could have waited between episodes, but you know, to each their own. I just like, that's why I, I, I like the compromise. I like, can, can you give me some, then I'll, then just, you can space it out. Or like you said, what, what they did with stranger things, um, I think that kind of worked, um, uh, maybe cause the season was just insanely long anyway, but, but it kind of worked there. It definitely worked for the anticipation building. You're absolutely right on that. Um, gosh, gosh, gosh. Is there, is there anything else about the, the final season you wanted to touch on before I decide if I'm going to talk about one other thing before I wrap it up here? No, I'd, I'd just like to say that if, if, uh, hopefully you have watched it, spread the gospel. Um, it, I'm convinced if I had watched this, it probably would have been on my best of list in the previous years. At least I'm sure season two would have been. Yeah. Um, I don't know that season one would have been, but it would have been close. But season two definitely would have been. And I think season three is probably going to be there. I definitely think it has a shot. There's, that, there's been a lot of really solid candidates this year. I'm <laughs> looking forward to I'm. I mean, I'm not. I haven't literally made a notation about them, but but in the back of my head, I'm like, going, oh, gotta remember that one, gotta remember that one. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's every once in a while there'll be one like, okay, I didn't, I knew that was going to be good. I didn't know it was going to be that good, kind of a thing. Or you know, like the old man, it kind of came out of nowhere. I think mm-hmm. that, that might make the list. 
I don't know. I'm not sure it will, but it might. Um, oh, one last thing I want to mention about the, the, that, that, because I mentioned at the top when I was comparing it to like Mad Men and whatever. Uh, I, I like the, the, the slight little American thing that's going on, uh, as, as we're going through the season about Margot trying to avoid being, <laughs> being outed as the person who kind of gave up the secrets to the Russians. And she was, and again, she was doing it for what she believed she was doing was doing stuff for the right reason and, and to help someone. But, uh, uh Margot, a little bit more naive than she probably should have been until until it was too late on that one, I think. So, I had mentioned earlier, will I talk about something or not? Uh, you know what? I still have energy, so I'll do it now. You got to hear us talk about the old man. You got to hear us talk about For All, all Mankind. Now, this is more for the, the geekier, the nerdier, the dorkier, the comic book type folk out there, like me. Like Brian, to a certain degree. Not as much. He's a little, he's a little cooler than I am. We just had, uh, recently, the, the San Diego Comic-Con came and went, and one of the big things about that was the big Marvel announcements that were made this weekend. So I figured, let's go through that. Um, I'll try to be... I'll, I'll be Scott Brief, which means I'll be long. Well, we'll see. First off, they announced that Phase 4 of the MCU, the that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe for anyone who doesn't realize what I'm talking about, officially is going to end with the Black Panther sequel that's arriving this November. It's called Wakanda Forever. And we were also shown the trailer for that film, which will feature pretty much the cast from the first film, obviously other than the, the late Chadwick Boseman. And it also looks like they are going to be introducing the MCU's version of Namor, the Submariner, in that film as well. In fact, Namor will essentially be the villain of the film. The expectation is that it'll be kind of in the anti-hero vein that Namor has pretty much often been throughout his history in Marvel Comics. Um, they also decided to uh, give him a, a bit more of a Colorful culture to both him and Atlantis. They're kind of going for a Mexican Aztec inspiration there. So it's a very, which I have no problem with. I have more of a problem that they, that he has facial hair than any of that, but I'm okay with it. I'll get over it. Look what the, I mean, Jason Momoa didn't look like any Aquaman I ever saw. I can deal with that. And basically, Submariner is basically the Aquaman of Marvel, except no one ever made fun of Submariner. They only make fun of Aquaman because of Super Friends, even though Aquaman doesn't have stupid little wings on his feet. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's, by the way, there's going to be a little bit of sniping throughout this, but I'm kidding. No, no, no. no. I, I love them both. I, I, I whatever. Uh, if I'm going to snipe at someone, it's going to be at the very end of the podcast where I, where I annihilate a listener and someone who doesn't listen for their stupid opinion, continuing opinions about the Batman. Anyway, so, so get ready, God. Anyway, we are also going to be getting She-Hulk, Attorney at Law on Disney Plus um, this August. We've actually talked about that before. It's got Tashiana Maslany in the title role along with appearances from the likes of Mark Ruffalo as the smart version of the Hulk, and Tim Roth. Wow, they brought back Tim Roth reprising reprising his abomination character from the all-but-forgotten MCU Hulk movie. Whenever we talk about all the Marvel movies, don't most of us kind of even forget that one? Because obviously cause it was a different act with Ed Norton playing him. But I almost forget that movie even existed. Yeah, I, 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 did, I have forgotten about it, too. And that was like the second Wait, that's like the second or third one. I can't remember if that's before or after Captain America. I mean, Iron Man is the first one. I think it's at the. That's the one that ends with Thunderbolt Ross showing up at. um, 
Oh wait, is that or is it the one with the hammer? I'm forgetting. Never mind. I'm moving on. I'll move on to the next one. No, hammer is the end of Iron Man two. I'm screwing up the podcast. Let me get back. Thunderbolt Ross appears at the end of that Hulk. Yeah, but he's interacting with someone else. Is it Tony Stark? Or is it... That, that, is it I think Samuel, that... I don't think it's Samuel L. Jackson again. I think it's... I think it's Tony Stark. I think it's Tony Stark. I think one thing leads to the next. Okay. Anyway, the tr- let, me, let, me, let me stay on point. It was such a good podcast until I fucked up. The trailer also teases the appearance of another Marvel character. Oh, speaking of God. Daredevil. <laughs> whom we know had that Netflix series that I suppose most other people liked, and I liked the uh, half of it. <laughs> I liked half the first season, none of season two, and pretty much all of season three. We'll get we'll get more about Matt Burdock in the MCU in a minute. Now we can just can be a, a little minute conversation here between us. Phase four, in some ways, I felt like it was it's been kind of all over the place. But I suppose it's understandable because you're not just dealing with movies anymore. You had to factor in all the Disney Plus series at this point, like WandaVision and Loki and the Falcon and the Winter Snowman or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I hate that, hate that show. Um, clearly the big thing is go, is opening, is the opening of the multiverse. You know, we're getting more cosmic. We're getting more mystical with the overall scope of the MCU. And when we get into phase five, which officially starts with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Did I just mispronounce that? Who cares? Uh, Quantumania. Um, I think they've also, I think Kevin Feige also pretty much announces we are in the, it's, did he refer to it as the multiverse saga or the multiverse arc? Or, well, he would have said arc. Probably said saga. He probably said saga. So, uh, I'm okay. I, I've been thinking about it because, like I said, there's been all these different projects and the, the connections between them seem tenuous at best. You know, we, we see like the through line, like from maybe like from Loki to Spider Man, which technically is in, is, has like a foot in the MCU and not whatever, um, and to the Doctor Strange movie. And that's getting into all the multiverse stuff. And, my feeling is okay. I'll, I'll, I'm going to give them slack because they've earned it, and this was their opportunity to tell a lot of more wide-ranging, different stories. So now that's where, you, especially when you get the TV shows involved, that's how you can have something like a Wandavision or a Moon Knight or, or whatever, or something more conventional like a Hawkeye. So I'm going to say overall, I'm very, I'm enjoying it. Even the the, the occasional either misfire or not quite as satisfying result. I'm like, okay, p- but you're doing so much. Uh, I'll give you another month or two, and then there'll be a new Marvel thing for me to watch or enjoy. You know, so I, 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 I'm kind of enjoying it so far, I guess. I, I'm enjoying it, but uh, I'm going to make a confession that I'm getting a little bit of MCU fatigue. Um that there's so much and so many different things that the the level that there was a quality control early in in Marvel that I feel has slipped a little bit um and and not that you know they're just making straight dog shit but um some of the stuff I don't think has been uh as good as some of the other stuff and I'll be honest with you like 
I have so much Marvel fatigue that with stuff going on in my life, there's not the urgency to go see stuff like it used to be. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen Thor Love and Thunder. Like, like I, I want to go see it. Um, probably a year ago, there's more urgency for me to go see that. But kind of like you, it's like, oh, well, you know, every time I turn around, there's a new Marvel thing. And uh, so, so I think we're almost hitting the point of peak saturation. Yeah. Um, and I fear that for because there was some really great stuff. I'm afraid there's just going to be a lot of stuff and it's not going to all be great. Uh, now I will say this: I'm probably as excited uh, for to see the Black Panther uh, movie. I thought the trailer really uh, sparked my interest um, as much as any Marvel mo- movie in a while. I saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse. I thought it was okay. Didn't love it. Um, d- didn't particularly find it. Um, Super compelling. I mean, it's compelling. I love Benedict Cumberbatch in that role. Um, didn't love it. Um, so I, I, I think they've done a good job. I worry that with, you know, that, that almost our viewing experience is becoming the fucking quantum universe, that it's inward, outward, so many things that a little bit of the focus and the, the quality control is slipping. But, you know, I, I can't wait to see Black Panther. I want to see Adam Warlock. Uh, you know, that's so, so that's where I am. Right, right. Well, now I'm going to feel bad talking about all the future projects. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm I'm not really going to feel bad, right? Don't worry about it. I just hey, I thought I'm supposed to be the one who's going to come off anti Marvel. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I I can't say I disagree, but that but I think. That happens sometimes, but especially with IPs like something like Marvel, where it's like, okay, maybe I need, you know, with, with, especially once we entered the Disney Plus realm. So there's always something else. If, if this was, if it was just strictly films as it had been through the first uh, three phases, we're fine with it because, you know, you get those, you know, there, there, there's like four or five or six months in between them. And there, and there may, and there, there's the one that you really want to see badly. And there's the one like, okay, I'll see it eventually because I know there's a connecting piece, but you know, whatever. Now there's just so it, it seems like there's not going to be a few weeks where there isn't a Marvel thing to be watching. And it's like, it is what you're saying. It is a saturation issue. Um, it's weird. It's, a, it's almost the opposite on the DC side where they're like, well, there's, give me something guys, you know, like, Oh, Oh, all your, all your projects have horrible things happening behind the scenes. And we don't know if they're ever going to be made now. I'll get to that later, probably. So l- let me start to whip through these, because at least there's some interesting ones on the list, especially as far as uh, different actors who are going to be appearing in different productions here. Because after Quant- after the the the, the Ant-Man and the Wasp movie, which will bring back the, the Kang character, although he won't be the same character. Here we go again. After that, we have the Disney Plus series Secret Invasion, which will have Samuel L. Jackson and Kobe Smulders. By the way... This series also has Ben Mendelsohn, Amelia Clark, and Olivia Coleman. I did not know about Olivia Coleman. That was the surprise to me. So I was like, okay. I mean, I don't know if she's going to be an alien or not, but if she's not, and you can give me a scene, if you can give me Samuel L. Jackson having a scene with Olivia Coleman, that will make my mind go, bah! I just want to see that. Um, that is coming out in. 
that spring. The third Guardians of the Galaxy movie comes out on May 5th of 2023. The next Disney Plus series will then be Echo. That's the character that we met during the Hawkeye series. And I believe Daredevil is going to be making an appearance there as well. Um, that is slated for, they just are calling that an early summer series because later that summer, we're going to get the second season of Loki, which I am really looking forward to because I love the Loki show. Um, in between those two, we're going to get another MCU film, The Marvels, which will bring back Brie Larson's Captain Marvel, as well as the Ms. Marvel character from the Disney Plus series, which I actually just binged that entire thing a couple days ago. It wasn't bad. It really wasn't bad. I actually, I actually enjoyed it. Um, I, I, I was misled. Um, on November, November 3rd of 2023, Blade finally is going to be slashing his way into theaters. This is where I mess up his name once again. <laughs> I'll try. Now, I don't know much beyond the fact that Mahershala Ali, did I get clo- my close? Yep. Okay. Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali. Got it. Mahershala Ali. Got it. Now, we know he's going to be taking over the role that Wesley Snipes made semi-famous back in the 90s. All I know about it is I know Delroy Lindo is also in it. There are rumors. I've had rumors. Rumors. Rumors, I tell you. That a couple other Marvel characters, a couple Marvel heroes, or maybe, I don't know if they're really heroes or not, might make an appearance there. I don't know. We might see some, I don't know, maybe a flaming skeleton on a motorcycle. Could be the movie for the show up in. Maybe. We'll see. There's a series based on, ugh, <laughs> I just, uh, sorry, uh, Ironheart coming in the fall of 2023. I have no idea if Gwyneth Paltrow will be making an appearance on that one. Didn't see her listed anywhere, but she does have a major connection to Iron Man and the Ironheart in the comics, blah, blah, blah. You know what? That's the one I don't really care about. Spinning off from WandaVision, this is one I do care about. We are going to be getting Agatha, Coven of Chaos. It's either going to be right at the end of 2023. I'm suspecting more likely January of 2024 because I can't see how they're going to resist not trying to release it roughly the same time that WandaVision got released a few years earlier. In the spring, yep, here it comes. We get the Daredevil series. Many, like our listener got, have eagerly been hoping for Daredevil Born Again with an almost unheard of in the land of streaming eight episodes. I'm thinking with that many episodes, the episode length won't be as long as, say, the Netflix version was. So I'm, I'm betting we're, we're talking like 30 to 40 minutes, not 50 to 100, uh, 100, 60 minutes. 100 minutes, that'll be something. What is it, Stranger Things? <laughs> um, I'm curious with that one, how much of it will actually be a reboot? Because I'm pretty sure there's going to be some rebooting being done here. This is, I don't, my impression is this is not a continuation of the previous series on Netflix. That they are, I mean, they're obviously taking some of the actors and some of the ideas, whatever, done there. But they're kind of rejiggering. Much like how we saw the Kingpin character in Hawkeye. Although that's Vincent D'Onofrio as a Kingpin. Like he wasn't Daredevil. You can kind of also tell he wasn't the same Kingpin from that. And I think that's what they're doing here. And my running gag is always, just give him a better outfit. That's all I care about. And we already saw a glimpse of the outfit in that trailer for the She-Hulk thing, which looks, if you, if you do, if you go crazy with the freeze frame, it looks almost like a variation on the very first original Daredevil outfit, which was, which had the, uh, the, the yellow and red kind of thing. And I'm like, 
Okay. Looks like you're going for a dirty yellow. Is it like the reverse zoom crap on uh, reverse flash crap on the flash? Whatever. Why is he? Why is he wearing a dirty yellow? I, I never understood. It's, it's got soot on it. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> the other possibility with the Daredevil series is that it could conceivably be a staging ground to bring in some of the other Marvel heroes that had had Netflix series. So. We might be seeing Jessica Jones show up on that show. We might see Luke Cage showing up on that show. By the way, this week's episode of Evil, amazing. Anyway, um, just saying. Such a good show. It deserves a podcast. Movie-wise, Anthony Mackie is going to be taking his mantle of Captain America from that awful Disney Plus series into a movie we hope can be at least somewhat better. Uh, Captain America, New World Order, that comes on May 3rd, 2024. That summer brings the end of Phase Phase 5, and that will be the film Thunderbolts. comes out in late July. Thunderbolts. In the comics, you got to go back to the late 90s. Hmm. Stop me if this sounds familiar. Thunderbolts was a team of, I don't know, we can call them ex-supervillains, or, you know, really anti-heroes, that go on covert missions for the government. Hmm. Sounds kind of... Kind of like the Suicide Squad. Wait, what, what year? 97, what year? Suicide? Oh, that came out years after the Suicide... Wow. 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 How about that? What are the odds? It's like X-Men and Doom Patrol all over again. Anyway, this looks likely to combine a lot of the semi-villains we've already seen in the MCU over the last several years. So the expectations seem to be that we're going to get Baron Zemo, uh, the Florence Pugh's character from uh, Black Widow and the Hawkeye series. I think Taskmaster... Task... Master, did I say Masker? Master also from the Black Widow movie, I think was going to show up in that. Uh, a bunch of other, you have to think there's going to be at least one holy cow, look who it is, and look who's playing so and so in that film. Maybe two. It's a, it, 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 it's coming out far enough in the future where we don't quite know just yet. The biggest news, however, is that Feige pushed on with his stupid little baseball cap, um, cause, you know, he, Basically hangs out with Ron Howard, I guess, or something. <laughs> Wanted to go beyond the phase five, phase, I keep saying phase fives, phase five announcements into phase six. Now, like I said, you already made it clear the major story arc that starts in phase four and continues all straight through to the, straight through to phase six is the multiverse. We know the following. The Fantastic Four movie, which is the Marvel property I personally care about the most. The property that will open the door to some of the greatest Marvel Comics characters of all time, in my opinion. From the titular heroes to Doctor Doom to Galactus, Silver Surfer, you name it. Somehow they get the, somehow they're doing Namor first, but whatever, it's fine. That film is coming on November 8th, 2024. Why they couldn't pick a date that was on the 4th, I don't know, but we're going to move on. Um... There were also two other movies announced. They are both coming in 2025. Avengers The Kang Dynasty releases on May 2nd of that year. And later that year, another Avengers film is going to be released upon the universe. Avengers Secret Wars. And if you don't know what that means, just ask any long-time or even medium-time Marvel fan, and they will gush about it to you like no tomorrow. It'll be like me on speed talking about Crisis of Infinite Earths, and I don't mean the crap they did on Ch- on the WB. It's it's all the heroes and villains all fighting each other, and Doctor Doom's supposed to be behind it. Maybe it'll be it, it, it'll be, It's going to be a massive event on the scale of Infinity War, so there you go. If, if you're not tired of it, 
Yeah, my brain will be tired of it at that point. Um, there are going to be eight other slots in the Phase 6 MCU timeline that, that remain to be filled. We don't know how many of those are going to be movies and how many of them are going to be TV series. The assumption is at least three slots will be taken by movies, if not four. Um, but we'll have to wait longer to hear about that. They announced uh, of uh, several animated series that are coming as well. Some of them are your standard type of animation. Some of them are your CGI computer animation. I Am Groot, Spider-Man Freshman Year, uh, another season of What If. They're bringing back the 90s X-Men cartoon with X-Men 97. So I know that there's a, that's got a huge following and fan base just based on that cartoon. And for some reason, they decided to do an entire series, I think, based on the Marvel zombies stupidity. Um, that's pretty much it for the Marvel stuff. DC had a panel too. All they really did was showcase the Black Adam movie, which is coming out this October, and the second Shazam film coming this December. I would love a videotape of how they're going to figure out what they're going to do about Ezra Miller in the Flash movie, because that is, I've, I, 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 that is almost unprecedented. What they're the problem they're going to have with that? I don't, I, I don't know what what they can do about that. Think about the think about the hundreds of millions of dollars that was sunk into that, and how important that movie was supposed to be for the DC cinematic blah 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 moving forward. And now it turns out they hired this psychopathic, you know, freak. <laughs> I don't know what they're gonna do. <laughs> You know what, man? Like it, 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 the problems DC has had. It sort of makes me feel like switching teams from being a Marvel guy and going to DC because I feel like that's more. That's that's my lot in life. I should be a DC guy. (laughs) They're snake bitten, man. It's really sad. The and the problem. Look, the problem with being a DC fan the way I am. I mean, and I always will be, and whatever. And I don't get. I I find the whole DC Marvel thing to be juvenile and stupid. Absolutely. And everyone who espouses it, and I have friends who do it. I know them. They're on Facebook. They're on whatever. I know them in person. I look at them like, dude, are you five years old? Are you five years old? Stop! Stop! They're they're not they're, 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 stop acting. They're not no. Just, it's, it's juvenile. It's you know gr- grow the fuck up. It's like the National League and the American League, man. But it's and then and then and then oh and then over the last several years the the, the whole the, the fact that there's this huge contingent I don't know how big they are whatever because I think most of them are bots half the time anyway the Snyderverse people who oh. look. I, I just want to tell them that they are so still prevalent everywhere. And I keep, and I keep wanting to say, you know what? You got your stupid little Zack Snyder Justice League done. You got it. Can we stop now? Can we stop? You know, you and were right. Don't. There was a story recently that, that, uh, somebody did the research and the majority of the, of the online content pushing for that were bots. Oh, yeah. I'll go you one further. I'm 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 thinking the same folks who are who are operating out of basements in Russia were were doing that just as much as they're doing all the Trump stuff. Come on, yeah. I mean it's it, it's very similar. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. It doesn't. So, it, still, the Batman movie was really great, and Gott and JP Lesser don't know what the fuck they're talking about, and they need to shut the fuck up. Just gonna say that. Anyway, and so. and I, I I greatly enjoyed the Batman movie. Let me say that that uh, to put a ribbon on my Marshall on my Marshall my Marvel thoughts. Uh, we are Marshall. That's where I live, close to Marshall. Um, 
the 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 movie I'm excited about most um, is the Fantastic Four. I want to see that, and probably the second most thing I really want to see what they do with Blade. I I enjoyed the Blade movies. I'm curious what they do with that. Now, let me just say this. If I don't fucking get an X-Man in one of these movies that's a good X-Man, and I don't mean the, the, the you know, animated stuff. The, the X-Man cartoon was awesome. It was really great and had a lot of the great comic storylines in it. If I don't get Wolverine, if I don't get Nightcrawler, uh, if I don't get Beast... <laughs> You know, if I, if I, and, and look, I'll be honest with you. I don't care if I see Cyclops. Like, I, I don't need to see Cyclops. I don't care. I'd like to see Storm. But if I don't get one of those four, if I don't get one of those four X-Men in a movie in somewhere in this phase, I, and I, Blade would probably be an interesting one for Wolverine to show up in or, or somebody like that. But, um, but if I don't get an X-Man before 2025, like I, I will just lose my shit. So there you go. There you go. Well, I suspect there's going to be uh, some big news coming from Marvel in terms of, at the very least, in terms of casting for some of these later films. And I'm thinking that might actually could happen as soon as September, uh, where they're going to have the D23 Expo. Um, they like to kind of unleash some major news at, at those events. I have a feeling based on the fact, okay, we now have a date for the movie, but we don't know anything else about it. And there, you know, other than possibly occasionally like Wolverine or Professor or whatever, there's no Marvel property where they've been talking more about casting than Fantastic Four. You know, and especially after Doctor Strange, where everyone was like, "Oh, look, they they did the fan casting with John Krasinski," and then then, then they came out and was like, "Oh, just so you know, that was just kind of a nod to the fans. That does not in any way, shape, or form mean he's going to be Reed Richards." And the way they said it made me go, "Well, I don't think he's going to be Reed Richards now." That that they're like, "Okay, you got your little thing. That's it. He got the stretch. <laughs> he got to die." Uh, spoiler. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I'm thinking that. I think we could also get a few other movie announcements there as well. And boy, I was going to say it was maybe something that some fans will find to be excellent news. <laughs> so that would be the spot for it. Um, I, you know what I hope they do just because I will love it. And it'll be a bit of a finger to a lot of the X-Men fans. I want them to go and do the original X-Men. Give give me Beast and Angel and Iceman and Jean Grey and, and like that. I'm good with that. That's in fact I want do, you know what? Give me Fantastic Four and X Men both taking place in the nineteen sixties. <laughs> like like the original like the originals. And then we can come up with some time timey wimey thing to get them now or not. I don't care. You know, I'm that, so desperate for X Men content. Like give me Alpha Flight. <laughs> like <laughs> You know, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I do think they reserve those slots for some big announcements that have oh, a lot absolutely. of moving parts, absolutely. but absolutely. you know, there are what I hope they don't do. And I'll end on this. I will, I will lose it if they do this. If, if it's like, oh, we're going to do like three or four X-Men origin stories and then build the team. 
the way they did with the Avengers. If they try that model with the X-Men, like, oh, we're going to do Wolverine. Oh, we're going to do this and, and try to build a series of movies up to building the X-Men. I I don't want that. Like I want the X-Men like jump to an alternative universe, whatever before I retire and draw social fucking security. Can I see an X-Men movie? (laughs) I know because there's one thing I haven't seen in the last 20 years. It's an X-Men. I'm just kidding. I know what you, you, there's been some good ones. There's been at least three good ones. Yes. (laughs) The, the second one, uh, first class and days of future past. The rest. I totally agree. And I think, uh, uh, first class was probably my favorite. I I want to say first class is my favorite, but I I really like Days of Future Past a lot. Plus, it makes me think of the Moody Blues. So anyway, yeah, that's a good one. All right. So I love in my head. It's like okay, if we if if we're if we're at an hour and a half or so, I don't. I'll just do it. And we were like more like in the two hours. I was like, ah, I'm gonna do it anyway. Okay, whatever. People will see the chapters. They they'll they'll, they'll listen to what they want to listen to. Which means you've been listening all this time, or at least for some of this time. But if you enjoyed what you've been listening to, guess what? You'll enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page as well. It's the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page and join the conversation about shows like... We were talking about TV shows today? Oh, yeah. Like like The Old Man or For All Mankind or Better Call Saul and so many others that we talk about there. Where can you find a podcast? Well, you already found us. But in the future, you can also find us in places like Spotify, Amazon Music... Apple Podcasts, pretty much wherever podcasts are available. But better still, you can just go to stvdpodcast.podbean.com. You can find all 300 and... 357. Ooh, 357. Like a magnum. Of our podcast can be found there. You can find us on Instagram. Our handle there is Serious TV Drama. You can find us on Twitter. We go under at STVD podcast. That's STVD as in, once again, serious TV drama. Oh, that's not the end because you can also email us. <laughs> He'll never email us. Our email is at STVD podcast at gmail.com. Again, at, wait, again, STVD podcast. <laughs> I'm not used to knowing how to say an email address. STVD podcast at gmail.com. Okay. The next time you'll hear our voices. Well, it depends on when you... You know what? I don't know. Should I release this the morning and then... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll release, I'm going to release it tomorrow. I'll just, I was wondering if I should hold it off and release it like a couple days after Better Call Saul, but nah, forget it. We'll do it. The weirdest thing, we recorded this podcast, both of us, like a half an hour after we finished watching Better Call Saul. So to be recording a podcast and it's not Better Call Saul is very weird. But, but we did. But the, yeah, we will be covering the next episode of Better Call Saul, which actually aired earlier tonight, which was nippy. I was right about one thing, as was Brian, and I was wrong about something else because I'm stupid, whatever. But we'll be t- recording that on Tuesday and hopefully getting it to you guys Wednesday morning. Brian, thank you for uh, joining this marathon <laughs> with me. Uh, the Marvel thing made it long, but I don't care. No, no, it was, it was a great conversation and two good shows that you and I both hope to promote. Maybe some more people will watch. They're really good content. So thanks for having me, and uh, I guess we'll be talking Saul tomorrow. See you then. See ya. Mm-hmm.